Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. Well, we got a big weekend of hoops to look forward to. BYU with a big game at Kansas State. We'll hear from Mark Pope in a minute. Mike Smith talking a little jazz. And we got the best of the jazz postgame show after the jazz lose at home to the Charlotte Hornets. I got to say, the rookies, the youth movement, gave them a burst in the third quarter. They took the lead. They led going to the fourth quarter. And then it all fell apart. What went wrong? Well, we'll get to that with the best of the postgame show coming up. What could go right for BYU on the road this weekend? At Kansas State, a team that's lost seven of the last eight, but the one win was over Kansas. So they're capable of winning, even though they haven't been doing much of it lately. For more of the game, let's hear Mark Pope with the media here on The Zone. In the second half of that game, I think it was right after the technical foul had been called, you had your starters kind of over yeah. by you on, on the sideline. And I was, I was reading your lips. I think you said something like, you guys talk about it, and then you walk yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a coaching staff, what does it mean to you to have a, a team and guys that you can kind of let them problem-solve some of their own stuff? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we started this um, we started this uh, this summer. And I think, I think it, was, it was partly the squad. It was partly um, Cody. I think it was Cody that was really pushing this. Um, where, you know, it, coaches were not very smart. And so we all sit around and complain about exactly the same stuff all the time. Every coach in the world complains about the same things with their team. And a lot of times we just sit there and complain. Like, we, we complain that we don't have any leadership on our team, but what are we doing to grow leaders? Like, what, is, what, is, what exactly are you doing to grow a leader and to teach a leader and to empower a leader and to, like, instruct them what to do? And one of the things that we had been frustrated about the last couple of years was just communication on the floor. Like um, our guys, just you know, we you know, you hear a lot of coach coaches talk and say if the, our guys could have their phones on the court, they would communicate way better, <laughs> right? And um, and so we're like, what what are we doing? Complaining about? Let's it should be the most important. If it's that important, it should be a really important part of practice. So you guys have seen us in practice where we'll finish a drill, the guys will huddle up, and the coaches aren't allowed to say anything. And so we started kind of doing that in the summer um, with the foreign tour, and and, our, and we have smart guys, we have IQ guys, and just them getting in the practice of them communicating. And so, uh, you know, when I actually do that in the huddle now too, when we're sitting down in a timeout, you know, two or three times, uh, those those shades are fire, by the way. Um, the glasses are very cool. I like that. Uh, um, I'll spend time asking the guys kind of what their fo- like individually what their focus is, and then um, our guys' huddles just with the players is probably more important than our huddles with the staff because the communication is happening on the floor and their thinking is happening on the floor. And what's super interesting, and this is not what you asked, but I think it's fascinating to me, is what I've noticed as we got along. A lot of times when we'll kind of be going through instruction in a timeout. And then I'll, and it'll be in a big moment, kind of where all the stuff is happening. I'll, you know, point to one of the other, like, what are you focused on? What is your number one focus right now? And a lot of times you'll see your players, I just think this is fascinating, almost shake their heads visibly, where they're like, I actually don't know what. I got so many thoughts going through my mind about the fans and what I just did and what I want to do and how it's going to be. And so them talking, is way more powerful than me talking. Because now they're actually, instead of like just take, because the input they're taking in from me is just like the input they're taking from the refs and the fans and the opponent and everything else. 
and but they kind of speak things into existence. I think that's more powerful. And so, for all those reasons, it's a real gift to have a group that that has um, that it's been a part of their team training to um, communicate with each other because what they say is way more real than what I say to them. I, I dig it actually, and it's new for me. It's but um, I like it, and I like the feel, and I like how it, our guys have, have bought into it, and it's pretty cool. It's really comforting. It's comforting, too, is like we say what we have to say, and then they go digest it and verbalize it how they say it, and it, hopefully they'll continue working. What is you guys' team that's made them so resilient, responding quickly after maybe a difficult loss and, and bouncing back in this league? What's, what have they done this year that's kind of caused that? Um, I think our teams have always been pretty good at responding here. I, I do... Um, we're, you guys know we're going over this so different the last two years. Like we're, we're, we're managing everything so different. I think that um, I think that um, you know going into the season we kind of had a very good sense of what this league was going to be and talked about in the summer the importance of us not riding too high or too low. We've talked a lot as a team, as a group, as an organization about that. Um, some of the, you know, maybe the biggest challenge of this league is um, being able to come fresh every day because it just wants to rip you to shreds, right? Whether it's losses or the competition level or anything, you know, it just wants to tear you down so you can't go into the next game fresh. And these guys have really embraced that. I think they're really focused on like, hey, whatever happened on what is today, Thursday? Whatever happened on Tuesday, it doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is us coming into this game fresh. Just like on Monday, we're saying whatever happened on Saturday doesn't matter. We just, our whole focus has to be coming into this game fresh. So we put the best product we can on the floor, and I think they've embraced that. And, um, it's been fun. It's a fun group. With you guys having played Kansas State two weeks ago, basically, how does that change the your preparation, if at all, and do you expect the same sort of game? Well, it's a double-edged sword because, one, you're familiar, right? But, two, you're not familiar on the road. And so, uh, the, on, the, on the sense that you're familiar is really positive because everyone's got a basic sense of some of the action and some of the cadence of the game and some of the personal strengths and weaknesses um, of the scout. But then teams tend to, you know, in this league, certainly, uh, home court advantage has been so strong, so you don't want to take anything for granted either. That you like, I know this guy, how he plays, because because as a team, everybody in this league performs at a different level at home than they do on the road, and so you just you, you, you we, we it's nice because you already have a cheat sheet of education. You just don't want to rely on it too much because it'll feel different certainly there. Are you changing up the travel schedule for this Saturday, Tuesday road? So are you coming back to Salt or Provo after yeah, this one? Yeah, we're coming back. And we actually talked to the team about it originally. We had scheduled to stay out. But after um, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and then really digging into the details of this, the guys, were, guys felt like we should come. They wanted to come home. One was because of Spence's situation. Two was because the games, it's a noon game, so the guys would be home 7 o'clock on Saturday night. And um, be able to, you know, have an evening and sleep in their own beds, and then all day Sunday, and uh, again, uh, full night Sunday. So, yeah, I think if it was a later game, I think it was a seven o'clock game, we wouldn't come home. But because it's a noon game, we're going to come. How important is this road trip? You know, um, going to Kansas State and then Kansas after coming off the big win against Baylor. Yeah. Um, this this you know, last road trip yeah. of the Big Twelve season. Yeah, it's it's super fun, isn't it? Because as if every game couldn't have got more epic. You know, when you come down to the stretch of the season, just like every game is so massive, and it's 
it's um I don't know I love it like you know we get to go play Kansas State which which I talked to you guys about the first time we played I mean, it's like instilled as me as a mecca of, of college basketball because of my mentor coach Fox so it just has you know it just has that juice to it and then we get to go to Fog Allen and you know after playing Baylor and come on it's it's big like it's all big and it's um that's why we're here and it's super fun is there any satisfaction for you and the guys on the team when you know the numbers before the season hey BYU's going to be here and now you guys are tied for six and the shot even you know potentially how the rest of the season goes to be a top four seed in the tournament um, yeah, I think we're trying not to spend too much time there, you know, because, you know, this league is so competitive that everything turns on a game also, right? And um, and so, um, again, you know, one of the things I was really, really proud about in this Baylor game was, and I think we might have talked about this in, in post-game, um, was there were several incidences during the course of the game that could have got us really distracted. Uh, the technical on the bench, the flagrant foul, a couple of miscues, you know, uh, the flow, ebb and flow of the game. But I felt like um, even in points where I felt like my staff got overly emotionally invested, were distracted by the emotion of the game, even in those moments, I felt like my guys were like dialed in. It was actually really cool. I was super, I was super proud of that. And so, um, let's hope that that's a space that we're going to continue to grow in. And so, as big as this Kansas State game is, and as big as the Kansas game is, and the TCU game, and um, everyone will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. As big as it is, I, I hope that you know we're in a space where we're we're like you know it's all that's all what it is. But the only thing that's going to affect winning and losing is we really focus on just the moment. There is BYU basketball coach Mark Pope. When we come back, we're talking jazz with Mike Smith. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK, proudly presented by Murdoch Chevrolet, serving Utah since 1926. All right, Mike Smith joined us yesterday in the show. PK and I were eating some of his pizza on a golf trip uh, down to uh, – down to St. George, one of his Mountain Mike's pizzas in, uh, is in Hurricane. Uh, we'll get to that a little later in the interview. But first, Mike, with uh, a little basketball info for us. What we're seeing here in Utah is the trade clearly had an a, the trades had a negative effect upon the team, and there was some uh, hangover effect. But then they had the nice game against the Warriors, even though they lost. And they've got some winnable games, at least record-wise, as they come out of the break. Uh, how much or what level of importance do you think you – is on these next few games in terms of winning to set the tone for the tw- for the final 26? Uh, PK, it's a good question. I, I think it's been very transparent and very clear what Ryan and Danny and Justin are aiming to do. And so if this has been, you know, talked about on your show, you know, too much, then stop me. But like they, they just don't want to skip steps along the way to build this into a champion. And I think Justin made it very clear. We just don't want to be good for a year or two and contend for a minute. We want to be good for a while. And it's really hard to do. It takes luck. It takes, you know, a lot of skill. It takes great development. Then it takes some savvy, clever moves. So it takes a lot of those things. I look back to an OKC team who rebuilt this thing or is now contending for a second time. That's really hard to do. The greatest move that Sam Presti made is not only trading for Paul George, but then re-signing Paul George. 
because the re-signing of Paul George, getting him to commit to Oklahoma City, allowed him to then move him later for Shea Gilgis and like five picks, right? So those picks are now starting to yield the fruits and benefits of an OKC team, which is arguably first, second, or third best in the West. That's what the Jazz are aiming to do. Golden State also did it, uh, uh, an eight-year run where they win four titles and get a couple other trips to the finals. That's amazing. But they did it mostly through the draft, right? Got a little bit lucky with a second-round pick named Draymond Green and got a little bit, you know, Steph and Claire, like the seventh and the 11th picks, but created the best shooting backcourt in the history of the game. Okay, those weren't the first and second picks. So you can do it with mid to high first-round picks. So it takes all that. Now you still got to go do it, right? So I think what the Jazz are doing, they're identifying what we have, who are keepers, who are we building around, who are the foundational pieces of this franchise as we build this thing slowly and surely and without missing steps until we contend. And so the aim right now is to play Taylor Hendricks and to play Keontae George and to see the progress of a Walker Kessler while we already recognize the greatness of a Lowry market. And we got to find out what we have, what our next steps are. Uh, All that being said, that's why the trades were made, right? If we can accumulate a couple of assets, create opportunities for these guys to grow and play, that's what we're going to do. But given all that, PK, you're spot on, right? They've lost four in a row. They've, you know, have a great home record at 17 and 10, but have lost the last three. It's time to, it's time to really come out and play. And I think the defense really took a hit when the, those trades were made. So those last games before the deadline, you know, there were different lineups and different trust factors with guys on the court. Fontecchio, although a streaky shooter and hit and miss offensively, was a really good defender, lengthy and, and, and bothered people. And so you move a couple pieces, and there's always going to be a little bit of a downfall. So hopefully, a break, some practice, some renewed energy, they come back, get after Charlotte and San Antonio before they hit those three on the road. What should Markinen be adding at this point in his career? Is he a finished product? Is there something more you want to see out of him? What could we expect over the final third of the season? You know, the, a lot of people felt like he was snubbed all-star game, right? Like he was – like he had – his numbers are fantastic. So very much like the numbers he had a year ago. So last year, 25 a game. This year, 23 and a half. The rebounds are the same. The assists are the same. The shooting percentages are scarily identical. Like, you know, almost 50% from two and 40% from three and 88%. Like, he's super efficient player. The one thing I looked at when I look at all the guys who did get an all-star pick and, and he didn't from the coaches – they all averaged four assists or more, like 3.8 or higher. And Lowry's never been like a gifted passer. Now, that's not a knock on him. It's not a bad thing. It's just kind of his DNA. I, I feel like you're either a, a, a passer who sees those angles or you aren't. You can get better within the realm, but it, it's, it's rare. Like a guy six years into his career has never averaged two assists all of a sudden hey, go be a four or five assist guy. That won't happen. So, like, if you were nitpicking, you'd say, okay, Lowry needs to do that. But I just don't think that's part of him, and it doesn't even matter to me. If I'm running this team, I wouldn't, you know, given, be giving Lowry instructions to become a great passer. Um, I think he's great. I, I, I don't know what he needs to work on. 
maybe maybe a little more of a post-up game. And the Jazz are starting to implement that a little bit. Like, you'll see them run this little mid- middle screen and roll where with a point guard, Lowry will come sit this pick, and oftentimes he slips it and jumps to the three. And he's developed a beautiful chemistry with Keontae to just catch and shoot. And he's like number one or number two in the league in catch and shoot points per game. That's how quick he gets rid of it and how uh, much of a threat he is. But oftentimes he'll set the pick and then he'll just curl or roll. And he doesn't roll to the rim. He just rolls to the foul line. Now he's got the guard on him. They throw the ball to him. That right there, I think, can become his bread and butter. Like he's seven foot tall. Right now, I view him as like the most unique small forward seven-footer we've ever had. Like, he's way different than Dirk, right? Lowry's about to hit 200 threes again for the second year in a row. Dirk never made more than 151 in one season. So when we make those comparables, everyone's like, wait, wait, you know, Dirk was a seven-footer who shot. Yeah, Uh, Dirk was a power forward who could step out and shoot the occasional three. 151 is the most he made this season. Lowry made 200 last year on pace for another 200. But I would love to see him just, like, become this guy where you could, you know, get a mismatch, switch in the post, and he's got an array of post moves that all of a sudden you're like, wow, this guy is unguardable. So, for what it's worth, that's that's kind of what comes to mind. You talk about foundation pieces and how this uh, last portion of the next two months is a form of discovery, and I buy all that. With that in mind... What type of piece do they have in Sexton? He's unique, right? He's, he's different. Okay, so he's a guy who's never averaged four assists in a game, right? His first three years in the league, he comes to the Jazz. You look at his numbers, he's a 20-point-a-game career-scoring average guy. I think there's only 64 guys in league history that have 20 points a game or higher. Now, last year he averaged 14.3. This year he's up to 17.8, right? So it's dropped a tick below 20. So he is a score first um, and a physical guard. There's a place for Colin. There's a place for Colin going forward on this team. He he plays with incredible intensity and energy. It's oftentimes game-changing energy. So you could be down and he could force an eight-second call or he could, you know, get you four buckets in a row. And he, he, His energy is infectious, so I love that about him. Now, given the assist thing that I just went through with Lowry, here's a guy who has not been a natural passing point guard like uh, anybody, a Rubio. Keontae's a little bit built that way. I'm just trying to think of jazz history. Stockton, of course, the, the best of the best. But he's taken his assist from three. Now you look at his starts, which are like 29, I think, or 30. It's, it's like five. It's over five. So this is a guy who is capable of learning and adapting and adjusting. And when given the charge or being held accountable by a, a young, fiery coach, can, can alter habits. I like that. So I, I don't think we've seen the best of him. Like, you look at his starts, it's either 29 or 30. And if it's 30, I think we're 19 and 11, something like that in his starts. But his numbers are 21 a game and five assists, and the shooting percentages are almost 50, 40, and 85. 
Like that's, you'd take those numbers from any starting guard. So I like him. Um, his contract is, is not exorbitant. It's not huge. And I think it's this year and I don't know if it's two more or this year and the next year, but not even, not even suggesting that you move him. He, he could be one of your foundational pieces given his age and given his ability to adapt, learn, and grow. So what you're saying on Markkinen's passing is he's no Ali Khalifa? <laughs> yeah, that guy was pretty good on Saturday. Tuesday. Uh, or Tuesday night, sorry, against <laughs> Baylor, right? Made three threes in a row. and he just, uh, Yeah, I give him a lot of credit. And what I really like is Mark Pope's system, the, the intricacy of these cuts and these moves. Had Baylor so, so perplexed in the second half. They're getting layups in the half court because all this – movement and back doors and circular cuts. I, I took, I coached these little sixth graders and then I coached ninth graders. So I got three teams and I've taken two of the plays like this, like cut off a clip off of YouTube and said, okay, I'm going to give that to my guys. And anyway, it's, it's, it's some really cool stuff. And BYU has been surprising at least in the big 12, right? Like, I don't know that we thought that I thought maybe nine and nine would be their best. They got a chance to do better than that. Given the last couple of years in the WCC, there was really no way to predict they would do this in the Mountain West. But, or excuse me, in the uh, Big 12. I'm going backwards. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to think they do it in the Big 12, and yet here they are. And uh, there have been a lot of good tests, and they've passed a bunch of them. So, well, you know Mike, what's great is they, wanna... they, don't have, they don't have like an amazing player. Like that, that maybe is the greatest part of this, this story this year. I know 12 and 1 before they get to the season and but you look at them and you say there's not one guy who's great, right? They're all good, and they all defend, they all pass, they all shoot. It's really a, the beauty of teamwork. Well, Mike, we will continue to eat your pizza. I watch you on TV. I don't think you're eating your pizza. You're staying skinny. What are you doing? You're clearly <laughs> passing on the pizza I was throwing down. There's a reason I'm not oh. a skinny guy, and it's all that pizza. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. I I, I drink uh, I drink a product called Cardio Miracle, which improves every bodily function. I think that's one thing. I, I, I drink that at night instead of like munching on ice cream. And then and what really helps me because I'm almost sixty. That's no fun, but I'm almost sixty, and I still want to compete at golf at a high level. And but I go see a guy named Craig Bueller. He's the guy that kept Stockton and Hornacek and Malone healthy all those years. And his Bueller Athletic is all about muscle activation. So all of us in our age range, DJ, I know PK loves to golf. I love to golf and stay active and play pickleball. If you're not seeing somebody regularly who can just fine-tune whatever muscles aren't firing that particular week, you could get a little off. And a little off becomes way off in a month. And then like in two months, the body is so smart. You got other muscles compensating to do the jobs they're not supposed to do. And then you get a little, I don't know, you just get a little ski wampus. And so I go see him. He keeps me, he keeps me going great. That's about it. That's all I do. I don't, I don't have any bad habits. So there. Ski Wampus, is that S-K-I-W or is that S-K-E-E-W? <laughs> I, I got to look that up during the break. That gave me something to do. All right, thank you. No Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. 
Okay, boys. Have a great one. There is Mike Smith. DJ and PK were brought to you in part by Teton Wealth. Ethan Miller with Teton Wealth will be live in studio with Hans and Scotty G Monday to help you with your retirement plan. Tune in or visit retireteton.com. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. The Utah Jazz lose their fifth straight game, beaten at home by the Charlotte Hornets, who just won their fourth straight game. Two teams going opposite directions after making deals at the trade deadlines. What went wrong? Well, let's get to the best of the Jazz postgame show. Sure, Jazz recap here on DJ and PK, 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Jazz had a tough loss last night to the Hornets. 115 to 107. The Jazz got 21 from Lowry Markinen to lead the way. Uh, 17 from Colin Sexton. 16 from Keontae George. Taylor Hendricks got the start last night. He had 12 points to go along with nine rebounds. Got all 12 points of those in the third quarter. But the Jazz come up a little short. Let's get to the postgame sound and start things off with Jazz head coach Will Hardy. <clears throat> um, I think the thing I'm happiest with is the defense in general like we came into the game we're going into this last segment of the season um, and we're trying to do a better job as a team guarding the ball um, and protecting the rim and they had 34 points in the paint which um, is a really good effort uh, especially considering you know the areas that that weren't good like the Biggest one for us is the turnovers. 19 turnovers, it's a hard game to win. They get 28 points off those turnovers. I would imagine that of their 24 fast break points, let's just be generous and say eight to 10 of those are because of turnovers. Um, Some of those are at the rim. And so for a team to score 115 points making 23s, I feel good about the mindset on the defensive end. Offensively, we've got to continue to fine tune the spacing. Um, you know, 19 turnovers. Some of those are unfortunate. Some of them are just careless. And we've got to do a better job valuing the ball. When you have a night of 19 turnovers and you compound that with it being a night that we really struggled shooting the ball from three, it's a hard game to win. And all those things, you know, combined, we're still right there with a couple minutes left in the game. Um, you know, there's there's definitely positive things to draw on, especially on the defensive end that we got to continue to build um, moving into the next game against the Spurs. But, you know, our, our focus in terms of things we got to fine tune will be the offensive side of the ball with the spacing and some of our decision making. What did you think of um, Taylor's first start and, you know, just the, the, the totality of rookies in general? Um, I thought Taylor in his first start um, was about what I would have expected. I think he had some good moments of energy. I thought in the second half, he really kind of got himself into the game by getting on the offensive glass, got a couple of tip-ins, got a couple of loose balls. Um, You know, I think there's also moments where Taylor recognizes there's still a lot to learn. you know, we put him on Brandon Miller to start the game, and Brandon Miller's a good offensive player. And, um, you know, early in the game, he's a little bit off his body, off the ball, um, which led to Brandon getting a couple of good looks. I think, you know, all in all, I would I would say it was a, a positive step for Taylor. Um, but there's definitely a lot of, you know, technique things that he can continue to clean up. Um, you know, the margins are really small 
in this league, especially when you're on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of elite shot makers. Um, and so I think there's some technique things, especially in pick and roll defense that Taylor can clean up. Um, but I thought that his energy and the way that, you know, he struggled a little bit on the offensive end. Um, but I thought that the way that he attacked the glass kind of ended up helping him get into the flow of the game. Um, so there's a lot for him to build on going into, into Sunday's game. What went into the decision to start him? Um, I think it's it's a good opportunity for Taylor to to take on you know the responsibilities on the defensive end. I think there's there's nothing like being thrown into the fire and guarding some of the top players. Um, I also think having him play with guys like Lowry and Keontae um, gives him an opportunity to to play off the ball and play off some of our better players, um, which hopefully will help him settle in a little bit on the offensive end. On, on some of the possessions you mentioned where uh, you thought the turnovers were careless, do you feel like you guys got sped up a little bit and tried to rush things on those possessions? Or? Um, I mean, I think it's a variety. I think sometimes, sometimes we can get a little sped up. I think any team can. I think there's also moments where we're probably trying to hit a home run. Um, you know, like... Colin does so many good things for us, and his decision-making has improved a lot. I know he wants that one back that he threw over the top to John in transition there in the fourth quarter. Like, I understand his intent. His intent was to pass. He's trying to get John a layup, but in that moment of the game, I think it was just it, it wasn't the time to, to go for that play. Um, it would have been a spectacular pass to get it there. And so I think Colin's not the only one. That one just recent in my mind but there's moments where we're just we're trying to make something uh out of nothing a little bit too much we need to just kind of keep the ball working um and take what's in front of us have you seen growth on the non-scoring aspect of bryce's game um yeah i mean he's been working really hard at practice um you know, there's things defensively from a technique standpoint that just like Taylor, he's got to really improve. Um, being a perimeter defender in this league is hard. And guarding pick and roll is really hard. And having the proper technique gives you a chance. And he's been working really hard at it. Um, he's very coachable. He's very receptive to, to all the things that we're telling him. But when you get out there on the court and it's all happening fast, um, you know, sometimes those things aren't habits yet. So um, I think on the defensive side of the ball, I still see a ton of room for improvement. Um, and then the second piece of that is going to be rebounding. Like, can you dig out a few loose balls for us, especially around that free throw line area? It's something we've talked about all year with the amount of threes that are shot now. Guards can have a massive impact on the glass just hunting down basically what ends up being loose balls um, around the free throw line, and I think Bryce can continue to improve. We've talked about kind of the strategy of what you you have to choose things to give up, right? And you mm -hmm. gave up the, give up the three-point shot generally above the break. Tonight when they're making a ton of them, like they did early and kind of throughout, uh, did you feel like you, you liked the way the team was defending the three ball in general, or, you know, is it a, a, and then they just making those shots more than you would expect, or... Kind of how do you evaluate that in, in, in this context? Yeah, I thought early in the game, um, 
there were a couple for sure that were just tough shots. Like Trey Man makes a couple step backs, and Trey Man's a really good shooter. Um, I think some of the the pick and pop ones with Grant Williams. I thought our closeouts weren't as urgent as they could have been. I think there's opportunities for secondary defenders to give little stunts. Um, again, those things need to continue to be drilled and become better, you know, habitually. But, um, you know, for me, it's you're just kind of reading the flow of the game. And to me, the, the way that it was going and the pace of their scoring I still felt like we really had a good chance to win the game if we could make a few shots and take care of the ball. Um, and sitting here right now, like I still feel the same way. It, you know, credit to them, they made 20 of them, but I think we've, we have enough of a sample size now where we've seen games where we overreact to threes and we end up giving up everything. Um, you know, the games that we've tried to run people off the three-point line, it's not like we've taken those away also we end up just putting ourselves in really big rotations and um sometimes it exposes you know our our size at the rim um you know we put walker in tough spots when he's out there and he's the only rim protector so i think the way we played tonight i feel like gives our team the best chance to to protect the basket speaking of walker he's probably disappointed not to be in the starting lineup anymore but i you know, haven't talked to him yet but what are you telling him as kind of that change is made and kind of, you know, when he has a tough game like this, what, what's your message for this, to him? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't overreact to one game. Um, Walker's a good player. He knows that I believe in him. He knows that we believe in him. Um, I would anticipate as our season has indicated that our lineups are going to continue to change. Um, Walker's not banished to the bench forever. We've just got to again try to put groups together that make sense and try to give the team an opportunity to play well over the course of 48 minutes um and yeah he had a tough game tonight but he's not the only person on the team that had a tough game tonight so to me it's i'm going to approach walker tomorrow like it's another day it's back to work that is jazz head coach will hardy now let's start to hear from all three rookies starting off with taylor hendricks I mean, I feel like it was more of us. Like, I feel like we played really good defense. Um, coach was talking about it a lot. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of things we could take from this game that we did well. It was just, you know, from the outside, we just couldn't knock it down. And I feel like that was a little bit of a difference maker. You get your first start. What was that like, and how did that process go? Uh, definitely a blessing. You know, um, we were going through the scout this morning. You know, that's when I found out. So, you know, in my head, like, first thing I did was thank God. But reality like have been blessed through like the whole process you know being able to be a number nine pick um playing in the g league um it's all a blessing at the end of the day how how, how did will tell you during scout uh he didn't really tell me he just showed up on the board like the matchups so so what's, what's going on in your mind during that process I'm like yo is that my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah how, how do you think you did tonight uh, i think i did all right um you know, just continuing to try to get better defensively. You know, I'm, I'm putting in a lot of work, like, you know, extra hours, just watching extra film, just trying to be an elite defender. And, um, you know, just continuing to make strides in that. What was working in the third quarter? Um, I feel like we were just our defense, really. You know, um, uh, I feel like part of the reason why, um, you know, they kind of came back was our turnovers. You know, we had a lot of turnovers, and it's tough to win a game when you have, you know, 19 turnovers or however many we had. What worked for you in the third quarter? Uh, just trying to get myself going. Um, 
crashing the glass. I'm trying to get rebounds and give our team extra possessions. Did anyone say anything to you coming out of the locker room about changing your game plan instead of shooting threes, crashing the offensive glass, or did you just do that on your own? Uh, I mean, that's really what they've been drilling, you know, just fly around, you know, do everything I can to help the team and, you know, just get my shots in my spots and, you know, crash the glass. So. There's Taylor Hendricks, 12.9 boards in the start in 26 minutes. Let's now move on to Keontae George. Well, Key, what was it like just to get some run with Taylor and Bryce tonight? I mean, it was fun. Uh, I didn't get to play with him in summer league, but, um, you know, T was fortunate enough to make his way into the starting lineup. Uh, Bryce played his way into some big minutes. Uh, so um, it's a lot different when you're not playing um, in whatever they call it, garbage minutes. So, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, just trying to uh, continue to instill the confidence in them. Uh, I mean, I felt like yesterday that I was just playing my first NBA game, uh, real minutes. Um, so, like you said, I'm sure you said it, everybody's story is different. So he waited his turn, made his way into the starting lineup. Now it's all about how can we play off each other um, while still having the guys in rhythm that we need in rhythm. So, um, I mean, it's going to be cool. Uh, I'm excited. Um, you know, the flashes that we have, um, you know, once we get those consistent, I think it's real scary. What flashes are you talking about? Then? I mean, just him staying in front of the ball, making the play on the ball, butter rim, um, blocking shots. Yeah, I mean, knocking down open shots. Uh, I mean, just kind of doing what we need him to do, come in there, be a defensive menace. And like I said, knock down open shots. And then, um, you know, he got game. So everything else will come into play. One dribble pull-ups. Um, he was being active on the rim, offensive rebound, defensive rebounding. He was talking. Um, I mean, if he's active, um, I feel like our team goes to a whole nother level. So we just got to continue to um, instill that in his mind that, you know, when you're active, when your motor's going, uh, you know, the team will elevate. How do you guys, you know, as, as a trio, just embrace this as, as the next part of the process for you guys as rookies? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, in my mind right now, I mean, adversity is real fun. Uh, that's what we're going through right now. Um, I mean, another bump in the road, but for, for us three, um, the main thing is not riding that wave. Um, you know, not getting too high, not getting too low. Um, shots, are going, shots are going to fall. Shots are not going to fall. Um, you know, it's just about finding ways to get better. Um, I know it sounds cliche, but uh, I think with Bryson Taylor, spend time in the G League. Um, got some run, got the confidence, got the rhythm. And then it's all about how can you translate that um, into the, you know, NBA. So, I mean, we all got to, us three, we got to stay together. We got to, you know, be close to one another. Um, you know, for me, I feel like not in such a sense of, you know, um, I'm the leader when it comes to all, all of us three. But, um, you know, of course, I mean, have, you know, more experience than both of them. So it's just, you know, it's all about, it's a process. I'm using my voice with both of them. Um, you know, I'm telling them, um, you know, you know, don't pass up shots. You out there for a reason, um, you know, for both of them. So um, it's just little things, man. Just continue to talk to them, continue to, um, it's, it's all positive, never negative. So um, continue to just doing that. And then, um, you know, the sky's the limit for all of us. We know that Will's not interested in giving out free minutes. And you say, Bryce playing himself into some big minutes. What have you guys seen behind the scenes the last few weeks with him practicing with you guys that we haven't seen? Yeah, he's been showing up. Uh, all the little things on time, getting his lifting in, getting his extra work in. I mean, I'm pulling him to the side. I'm telling him, come shoot with me. 
I'm telling Taylor come shoot with me in the morning. Uh, so, I mean, he's just been doing, like I said, it's, it's just all the little things. Um, you do all the little things, I mean, everybody's going to see it. So it's just a matter of when your opportunity will come. If you continue to stack days and continue to, um, you know, build habits, um, I mean, like I said, I went into the rave room today. I mean, we lost, but, you know, this is where habits come to play. Stick with your lift in, stick with your work in. Um, you know, still, you know, I mean, we in the NBA, keep a smile on your face. We're going to figure it out. Um, so, I mean, the habits is taking over with both of them. They understand that it's every day, every day. It's, our, it's I mean, it's a job, but, I mean, we don't try to look at it like, like a job, but it is at the same time. So it's just you got to come in, um, you know, got to, Got to, got to be in the moment. Got to, got this saying: perception is reality. Um, so that's for anything in life, you know. Just like for y'all, people see y'all, you know, like a days ago, not putting stuff out. Um, at some point, you know, people gonna start talking about y'all. So same thing with us. We got to continue to put work in. Let them know that we in here. We in the gym. We in the facility. Um, we doing everything that we need to do to. You know, at some point, you're going to have to give us opportunities. So that's what them two are going through right now. Will said he wanted you to use these 25 or so final games to improve on using your voice. Um, what does that mean, and how do you do that? Uh, it's, been a, um, it's been the same thing that he's been harping on me since the beginning of the season. I mean, um, it's like, it's, I mean, being a 20-year-old kid almost, like, it's hard to talk to, you know, 29, 30, 26. I mean, they got way more experience than me, so... It's kind of like in the back of your head, you're kind of thinking, you know, uh, maybe the things I'm saying, uh, they've already heard, they already know. Um, so uh, that's that's just the main thing in my mind, just how can I, you know, whatever I'm saying, how can it be effective and kind of get right to the point? And I think that's going to be the, the main thing in my development this, this uh, last 25 games, uh, you know, just continuing to, uh, I mean, voice my knowledge with the game, um, voice what I'm seeing, you know, when he, you know, walks away and they do the little huddle during our timeouts, you know, that's the time where I can, you know, use my voice and get in front of the team, you know, hey, everybody get close. Because um, at the end of the day, um, it's us out there. Like, you know, the fans can't play, play for us, coaches can't play for us. It's, you know, it's all about us at the end of the day. Um, so, I mean, I like to say we playing for something bigger than ourselves. This is a team sport. So, I mean, I got to get all four guys on the same page. So when we go out there, we understand what we're doing. We understand spacing. We understand the defensive coverage is where we're in. So, um, you know, once that's the base of it. Once we get, once we get the base out, um, I mean, like I said, man, the sky's the limit. Keep taking steps. Um, like I said, everything will fall into place. There is Keontae George. Let's now finish things up with uh, fellow rookie Bryce Sensabaugh. Take away the paint. I think they only had... 30 points in the paint or something like that. So we did a good job. They were just hot. They shot like 55 from three. So, um, yeah, I think uh, just us making shots, making it easy for ourselves on the offensive end. Um, but I don't think it was a bad game at all, though. Extended minutes for you. How did it feel out there? Uh, it felt good to finally play. I um, get some run with my guys. Uh, but, you know, um, I'm just trying to do anything I can for real. Uh, play hard, uh, work on the defensive end, get steals, get deflections, whatever it may be. Um, so, just play simple. Have you gotten feedback yet from Will on the game, one-on-one? Uh, no, nah, we, we uh, had a little post-game meeting as a team, but um, nothing yet. 
you were talking about how you wanted to show people that you could defend at this level and that that shouldn't be a part of your game that's like looked down upon. Yeah. How do you feel like you've grown kind of in that aspect just over the last few months and what you were able to show tonight? Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously with, with narratives and stuff like that, you can't really control it unless um, you come out and show it. So um, I think I'm just trying my best to do that. And, uh, you know, despite what the outside world has to say, just play my hardest to, to win games and try to make an impact. So um, that's really what, I, uh, what I've been doing, watching film, uh, you know, going 100% in practice. So, you know, when the game comes, it'll translate. That is Bryce. Sense about the Jazz come up short. They lose to the Hornets 115-107. to 107. Next up, the Jazz will take on San Antonio at Delta Center on Sunday. Tip-off will be at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the best Jazz postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? The headlines are next. It's time to get your morning started with the news you need to know. News update. This is what's trending with DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Rebound John Collins. Underhand scoop to Sexton. Across the half court with a head on a swivel. Leaves it behind for Keontae. Jazz lead. Three ball. Keontae Jordan's on the right side. And Utah's up by one. Their first lead since 1817. 82-79. Ninth rebound for Hendricks. Slicing through the lane. Clarkson goes to Duncan with a little extra vengeance. Such great heights for Jordan Clarkson. Nietzsche, the 30-year-old rookie, acquired from Oklahoma City, crosses to his left hand, swings the laces into his fingers, launches the three, misses. Long rebound man, more aggressive to it than the Jazz. Top to Williams for a dagger three, and he nailed it. The Utah Jazz get beat. They fall to the Charlotte Hornets. 115-107. The Hornets win the fourth quarter. 30-17, to and they win the game 115-107. to PK was trending well there in the third quarter. Kids were all right, and then all of a sudden, here come the Hornets against the Jazz starters, or finishers. Well, except for Hendricks, yeah, because I I don't even think he played in the fourth quarter, did he? Yep. And uh, he had all his 12 points in the third. Looked great. Uh, Get those offensive rebounds and stick them back in. Wild athletic ability, man. He's good. Incredible athletic ability. There's just no question about that. He has to refine the shot. We'll see if that can come. I don't know that I really want him shooting threes right now, but uh, this is a this is a team that's not capable of winning very many games going forward. That is exactly how it looks right now. They're going to play the rookies, and we'll see how much better they get and what kind of impact they can have. But it was a struggle, and they defended uh, a lot of the issues that they've had. They did not have against Charlotte, but it didn't matter. It wasn't enough. They get beat again. They've lost five in a row now. They'll try to snap that streak against the Spurs. Keep jacking up threes with very little chance of them going in. I'll just never understand that. Isn't the goal to make threes, not just simply to shoot threes? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. Market in two of nine from the three-point arc. George was two of eight. Clarkson was 0 for four. Those three combined a four of 21, really struggling. Having Chris Dunn shoot a three. Is Derek Favors around? Can he <laughs> shoot a couple? They got they very little chance of going in. You like that one Walker Kessler took? Why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Why the hell not? Well, 
<laughs> why not? <laughs> what if you hear that in a jazz film session? Hey, why the well, hell not? Well, I mean, everybody else is missing. Give me a shot. I'm not going to make it, but I'm only going to take one, so it's only going to be one wasted possession. Jazz are back in action Sunday. The Spurs at the Delta Center at 6 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Jokic gets it behind the free throw line. Backdoor cut, Murray leans in, layup good. Jamal Murray, 14 in the game now. Shea's got to steal it, make court. Dishing to dump for the right side. Throwdown with the right hand delivery. He's closing big with 19 points. Irving on the move, through the lane. Mavericks running time down. Kyrie back out against Allen. Now attacks, in the lane, behind him to Doncic. Top of the arc three, kill shot. A 41-point game for Doncic. Doncic with 41 points, 11 assists, 9 rebounds. He just barely missed the triple-double, but his Dallas Mavericks beat the Phoenix Suns 123-113. to We like to sit sometimes and eat on the couch and watch a game, and so we turned on that game. It was on 5.30, and I told my wife, oh, he's going to have a big game. Why? I said because he didn't like the Suns and Booker. He <laughs> <laughs> gets him all sorts of fired up. He does every time. They've had a couple of run-ins. And <laughs> sure enough, 41. Yeah. Those two teams tied for sixth and seventh place. They are both 10 games over 500 at 33 and 23. You trust either one of them to make a deep playoff run? Nice teams, nice records, but how far can they go? You're talking about the Suns? And the Suns and the Mavs. Well, I mean, the Suns, when they have their guys, Bradley Beal's out with a hamstring. I mean, he had a week off, and... He's out last night. He's not going to play tonight, they said. So if they don't have their guys, no, I don't trust them at all. But let's see what happens. I mean, they're like 19-7 and seven with their guys, but their guys are rarely there. The Clippers get beat by the Thunder. Showdown of two of the top three teams in the West goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 129-107. to 107. Showdown between the big names, the Stars, who are currently ninth and 10th in the West, the Warriors and Lakers, and that one goes to the Warriors, 128 to 110. Steph had 32. Warriors still in 10th place, a half game behind the Lakers, and those teams have now pulled well in front of the Jazz, three and a half, four games in front of them. The race to see if the Jazz finish with a top 10 record or not. Do they keep that draft pick or not? They finish with a top 10 record. I guarantee you that. Bottom 10 record. <laughs> top 10 draft pick. My bad. Thank you for that, though. Pelicans, 127-105 over the Rockets. Finally found something I'm willing to bet on. <laughs> Jazz at the top 10 record. Not happening. Where's all my money? Push my chips to the middle of the table. The Spurs, who will be here Sunday, got beat by the Kings, 127 to 122. Sabonis with a triple-double in that one. Pistons center Isaiah Stewart has been suspended three games for punching Drew Eubanks on Valentine's Day. The misdemeanor assault charge for it was dismissed. He'll sit three games. And the Joker became the fourth player to have a triple-double against every opponent in the NBA. 21 points, 19 rebounds, 15 assists. In a 131-10 win over Washington. Did you even know there was such a stat? I did not know someone was tracking to see if everyone had a triple-double against everybody. I think the question is, do I care? (laughs) Well, I know the answer to that. There's something I'm willing to bet on. No. He doesn't have one against the expansion Seattle team. (laughs) He'll have to wait for Seattle and Vegas to come into the league and get them. And then at the end of the career, he needs to go play somewhere for a year so he can get one against the Denver Nuggets. 
DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. So I immediately went in the team and told them, I absolutely love you guys. I would never, ever want to embarrass you, but it's my bad. I'm at fault. I should have never mentioned anybody by name. I didn't mean it. I was trying to talk typical clinic talk like I do. The slowest player in the league at the NBA is Jokic. He can't move laterally. Some of the greatest players I've coached can't move laterally. So I didn't think that's a big deal, but I should never, ever mention a name. I'm a veteran coach. I tell every young coach in the business, show class when you win, show class when you lose, give the other team credit. And I'm really, really proud to have them, but I totally apologize to them for doing that. My family and my players, outside of breathing air, they're the most important thing in my life. That's why I'm still coaching today. They are the air that I breathe. And I love them dearly. I would never want to embarrass them or hurt them. Rick Pitino backing it up, apologizing for his critical comments last week. Too late, baby. Too late. Coach, do you realize that every one of these players can transfer in the offseason if you keep talking like that? I don't think he cares. (laughs) There may be that. UVU picked up a win last night. They beat Texas Rio Grande Valley, so that's four in a row for UVU. And SUU lost to UT Arlington. And tomorrow, BYU is at Kansas State, noon on ESPN+. Ah, the anticipation, PK. A chance to sweep a week, a 2-0 week. Move two games over 500. Give yourself a little breathing room going down the stretch here. Work on that seating. Yeah, but they're not looking at it that way. They're looking at a two-game road trip now. Yep. So they got to get a split of the two-game road trip. Because, what is it, Tuesday against Kansas Nobody beats Kansas in Kansas. It's impossible. Impossible? Yes, yeah, so they're... And they may be putting, a player light, uh, by the yeah, way. Well, Spencer Johnson is not going to be there. Well, hey, he had a kid. Congratulations. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And he can take off in uh, four years from now on paternity leave. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, that doesn't matter. I mean, you got to play the game with or without him. He shows up great. I mean, he's capable of going for 20 or capable of going for zero. Uh, Who will step up if he's not there? He's an important player, but, I mean, uh, Kansas Kansas State's point guard, who was going to be BYU's point guard, uh, he hasn't played this season, so that's a wash right there. Those are just excuses. Utah will be on the road at Colorado, 7 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. The 7 and 8 Utes, the 8 and 7 Buffs, fighting over territory in the middle of the Pac-12. This would be a big win for them if they were to get it. Colorado's a good team. They've had guys in and out of the lineup. Uh, De Silva, Simpson, Williams, these guys are really good. And if they're all there, particularly at home, this would be their best road win of the season. I mean, I know they beat St. Mary's, but at the time, St. Mary's was down. They got better. But we'll have to see who shows up for Colorado because when they got their dudes, they're good. Well, now that they got that first conference road win, maybe the weight is off. Maybe they'll go out there, play a great game, get a road win. It'd be a big deal. Get them back to 500 in the league. They need a streak down the stretch here, so they're going to have to win road games. Can they do it Saturday night? DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. 
I was 210 pounds when I left Cleveland. I was 170 pounds sitting in Vegas that August, that September, October, whatever it was later in that year. 40? How you lose 40 pounds? You're on a strict diet of blow. Johnny Football, talking about the crazy weight loss that ended his NFL run. Drug issues. Well, yeah, and, and he's been uh, advertising. You know, you got Marie over here. You got Johnny. Hey, do the blow. <laughs> Johnny Menzel diet plan. Don't tell the feds. The DEA will be knocking on your door. So you got this going on here, yeah. Well, what's the deal with Menzel? Why is he out? In, why has he been in the news lately? Willing to do podcasts and tell crazy stories in the offseason when people want anything about football. Give me anything about football. I don't know what else to tell you. What else so is he got, doing? So you got a book to sell or something? I don't know. I hadn't heard of him. He was kind of off the radar as far as I knew. Yeah, but then the other day, uh, didn't we have yesterday, Yach, his father said, what was it, $3 million? Yeah, he was claiming that he told so- he told someone he'll stay there for two more years if he can guarantee him $3 million and talking about bag men and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get your bag. and this so guy Alabama's got that yeah, 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 one. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, right. Was that the same podcast? That I don't know, but, yeah, he has been in the public eye a lot more recently. I wonder what he's doing for life, though. You got to do something. I mean, he's just a kid still. Yeah, I don't know. Medical sales? <laughs> <laughs> Clever. <laughs> or back Clever. in uh, College Station uh, giving lessons? Oh, yeah, now you're talking. There's a lot of high school quarterbacks in Texas. Fundamentals weren't really his thing. It was more like run around like crazy and make a play. Okay, well, I mean, anybody can make a play when the play's there. It's what can you do when it's not there. Chargers offensive coordinator Greg Roman told reporters he's confident they'll establish a consistent running offense, which he expects to elevate Justin Herbert's play as well. I'm confident, too. Seattle Seahawks have restructured quarterback Geno Smith's contract, converting his $9.6 million roster bonus into a signing bonus and creating $4.8 million in 2024 salary cap space. His cap hit this season will drop to $26 million, but will balloon to $38 million in 2025. That's a, like a hot air balloon. And the Chiefs signed free agent punter Matt Ariza. He played for the Bills and was caught up in a lawsuit alleging the rape of a 17-year-old girl in 2021. He was dismissed from the lawsuit in December. He's been looking for an opportunity. The Chiefs made the move with former All-Pro punter Tommy Townsend set to hit unrestricted free agency. So that was a situation where he was cleared, right? The charges were they false? Is that uh, what it was? The, he was dismissed from the lawsuit. I, 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 I do that. not know more details than that. Evidence said that he wasn't at the party at the time. Wait, he wasn't even there? Assault. Well, he was at the party earlier on, but when the alleged assault actually happened, there's evidence that he wasn't there. So he was dismissed from the lawsuit. So he's cleared to go, obviously. Yep, correct. Good. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. What I've always tried to do and want my legacy to be is you helped a lot of people be more successful in their life. I don't know for sure exactly what the legacy is going to be, but that's what I'd like for it to be. Nick Saban, what will he do now that he's retired as the Bama football coach? He's going to do TV. Yep. I like when he says that because he talked about that a lot. Create value for yourself. He, at least in public, he would talk about that. And that, that's across the board. It's something, oh, be a better offensive tackle, lift more weights, uh, that type of thing, you know, because 
Most of us aren't going to be 6'4", 300 pounds, but all of us are in the position of how do we create value for ourselves. And what he means by that is putting yourself in the best possible position to have a successful life. And obviously his was with the football players, but he would talk about that that went beyond. It was a message that carried far beyond football. In fact, it was it was hard to even connect it to football, really, when you think about it. And I always appreciated that because that's what it's about. Whatever, whatever situation you're in, what can you do to create value for yourself so you become valuable to an employer, essentially, and maybe to a, a, a man or woman or whatever it is in a marriage, whatever it might be. And I, and I always liked when he went down that road. That was always how he talked about the players getting better, kind of in those terms. All the details matter, all the relationships matter. It's how you win. And that's the value you create in football. But you're right, that would matter in a lot of businesses. Do your job and do it the right way. Be somebody somebody wants to work with. SEC's pushing for changes in the early signing period in college athletics, including making the entire month of December a recruiting dead period and moving National Signing Day up two weeks closer to the start of the month. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey told Yahoo Sports, according to the uh, league's coaches, have already approved the proposed changes as they seek to balance one of the craziest and busiest periods of the college football calendar. Putting signing day in the middle of December with playoff games no longer works. Move it to early December, the Wednesday before championship games. Well, just why have one? Just let them sign whenever. Well, you, you can basically you can sign whenever, verbally commit, and then just stick to it, even though you don't sign. No, I mean you can sign something beyond the signing period. It's just not it's not a lat- national letter of intent. You can get out of it, and they can dump you. But you can still sign it. It's just called, it's called a scholarship agreement. Just do do that. If you're ready to commit, commit away. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The new uniforms for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. Generated by Nike, produced by Fanatics, have been panned by Major League players as their quality has been questioned, along with revelations of see-through pants, supply chain issues. You could see teams and players not have enough pants in reserve should they get torn, etc. A Major League Baseball spokesperson said in a statement that adjustments are being made to the jersey size, waist, inseam, thigh fit, and bottom of the pants based on player requests from Fanatics, Nike, and MLB. So, see-through pants? Yeah. I've got it. Oh, there's a pretty explicit one that was oh. out there on the internet yesterday. We get us, we get uh, an expansion. The Utah Chippendales. There it is. Who's with me? You call them the chips? <laughs> Trying to win the chips. Yeah. The what chip, do you think? The chips. The Utah Chippendales. That's this, cutting edge right there. I think this will be old news by the time Utah gets an expansion team. Yeah, but the rate we're going at that point, they won't be wearing pants. Heyo. <laughs> Dramatic turn of events. So you're gonna they're gonna have new uniforms upon the new uniforms? I guess so. Gotta move quickly. Here we go. How far away is the opener now? It's got an uh, odd date because they go to Korea, right? That's like a week early. March twentieth. Yeah. So less than a month. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. 
We'll probably make a couple changes to the group uh, so we can get some fresh freshness in the legs. Obviously, just coming off a of preseason, most of the guys I don't think are ready to endure two 90-minute bouts uh, so close together. So we'll probably do that. Pablo Mastroni, RSL head coach, talking about lineup changes in advance of tomorrow night's game in St. Louis. RSL losing the opener at Miami. Now they get a team that's best in the West a year ago. They tied. They lost. I saw the game. No, no, look look right here. Yeah, I corrected that. (laughs) (laughs) I see it. You're doing a pregame, Yock? I will be in Idaho. You'll be in Idaho? You going to the Steelheads game? No. <laughs> got a family member who's got a thing they want me to attend, so I will oh. be going north. What do you guys do? Rotate that? Rotate what? The pregame. We rotate it, yeah. So Spence and Lauren will be doing it tomorrow, and then, yeah, we'll just kind of rotate through. But you guys, you, you do all the games on the radio, right? Uh, I missed a handful last year. Oh, you did? But I did. I make most of them. Oh, yeah. I remember there's some guy with an accent. <laughs> that would be Spence. A.K.A. Spenno. He's good. A.K.A. the guy. He is good. He did. He filled in uh, as an analyst. He filled in on the play-by-play. He does pre half and post. He's talented. Cool. Yeah. He's a good dude. He'd crack you up, too. He's got a nice little uh, Jersey bitterness going to him sometimes. <laughs> Pre-game at 5.30. First kick at 6.30 on the zone. That is what is trending. Coming up, we will talk with Jason Christ from Rail Salt Lake at 8.30. David Locke is here to talk about the Jazz at 8 o'clock. And Aggie forward great Asamoah is here at 9 o'clock on The Zone. The question of the day is next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. And now, a look at traffic from the KSL Traffic Center. Accessing. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. Mark Harlan, athletic director at the University of Utah. I would have bet that the Big 12 would have had you and BYU playing the final weekend of the season. They've got you playing on November 9th. Is that something that you guys liked or preferred? Don't ever want to speak for Tom, but where I was on it was that I wasn't wedded to it, and I want to maximize it for television because the Holy War deserves it. So I just told the Big 12, and obviously Tom was in agreement, that let's just put it at a place that's great. You know, we're aspirational to be in Dallas for that championship game. I'm sure BYU is. Too. And, uh, you know, maybe playing that rivalry game quickly was in my mind. But at the end of the day, if they put it there, we would have said, let's go. But I think, you know, what we said was we're not wedded to that. And folks were maybe for that or against that in the community. But, you know, I think it's just a few weeks before that now, right where it fell. And I imagine it'll be a real primetime type telecast. Catch Hanson Scotty weekdays from noon to three on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So, so, so. Question of the morning. As the Jazz lose their fifth straight game, but play all three of their draft picks from the 2023 draft. Well, if the Jazz are going to continue to lose, at least, isn't it good to give minutes to the three rookies? I think so. Yeah, when you throw the at least in there, how can you really argue with that? Got to play the young guys at some point. And this season isn't going anywhere, so why not now? Well, they made the decision to make the season not go anywhere. That's yep. the thing. Traded away a couple guys who can shoot the three and one who can handle the ball and gave them a little size and a little veteran experience, and they moved them for draft picks. Yeah. So at this point, yep. Speaking of Abaji, of course. Get, not exactly. Get <laughs> Sensabaugh out there. Let's go. Make Sensabaugh. What can he do? 
Dustin says, I think it's important to find winning combinations on whatever current roster we have. Throwing the rookies to the Wolves with no hope for success is probably not doing them any favors. I think he was throwing the rookies to the Hornets, not to the Wolves. And there was hope for success. There was a little success. Third quarter looked good. And the fourth quarter wasn't really on the rookies. That didn't look good. Well, Hendricks didn't play. So it's definitely not on him. No. Given Clarkson 34 minutes. He was really frustrated in that game. His body language, you could see the frustration very clearly. He had the worst, most important stat ever, plus minus, at minus 19. Yikes. Tony says it'd be nice to figure things out sooner than later. At this point, Keontae's a piece to the puzzle. But isn't this about finding out if these guys can be above average role players? Marketing would be a great second option. So at some point in the next two years, you think the Jazz have to offer a major number one option free agent to get out of rebuild mode and on to winning playoff game mode. Who's that? I don't know. It has to be a free agent option. It can be a trade. But who can they go get who's Who's a great player? I mean, I I don't care the option. I'm just, I care the player. The option is irrelevant, however you acquire them. Who is that, though? Who's that available? Who will who's be a available big-time this player summer? who's really sucking? The team-wise, of course. Yeah, I think there's the uh, hope that it would be Doncic, that he'll get sick of uh, Dallas floundering in mediocrity, and he'll want out at some point. But could so it be want to somebody go to else? Worse? <laughs> could, he, could he go? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Could it be someone else who's merging? I mean, I don't think Markkinen was thought of as a second option before the Jazz traded I mean, for him. Floundering in mediocrity. Uh, 10 games over 500, uh, 15 uh, games. Not, probably not 15 uh, games, but well in front of the Jazz. Less than two years ago, they were in the Western Conference Finals. Yep. The team is better now than it was then. And they're floundering in mediocrity? Sixth place in the West. I stand by that statement. They floundering in mediocrity. mediocrity. I don't think so. Floundering around 500. Well, they're 10 games over now. They've been playing better. I just don't know that there's a player like that available. That's my point. Then they have to draft one and develop them. I mean, there certainly wasn't a player available like that at the trade deadline. Well, when by Ama. He has a chance to be number one option, and they're floundering. Yeah. But he's a rookie, so you figure that'll take a while to play out. But going I down this road right after the trade, going down this road in the press conference, Jay-Z addressed this. He wasn't really asked. It was in a longer answer, but stuffed in the middle. He says, you know the meme. There's been zero days since there's been drama in the NBA. So it could be somebody who seems perfectly happy now on the surface, and there's no rumors, and they'll suddenly be available. When? I have no idea, PK. Well, suddenly seems uh, suddenly is a, a it by be, definition it's now. At any point in the next two two years, two totally years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to wait. <laughs> so that that puts it up to four. Yikes! Marketing's gone at that point. Seems like whether he decides to, uh, I think they can give him an extension this summer. That will be a big moment. Will he do it or not? Yeah, what? But then we've seen guys leverage the way it right. after they sign it, so you're right. I mean, it's a big moment, though. It's, it's a big... not necessarily a encompassing, defining moment. Right. Yeah, somebody can change their... Again, back to there's zero so, days since there's been drama in the NBA. Maybe the drama would be him. What drama It'll was yesterday? Somebody. What drama was uh, Tuesday? Let me see. Hold on just one second. Uh, I don't, I don't think it was any drama Tuesday. I think Tuesday well, was we drama-free. Got... <laughs> 
That's the all-star break. It doesn't really count. You said every we day got, in the NBA. Well, we got Isaiah Stewart. Also. Has just been Isaiah suspended. Stewart. For punching, yeah, he's just not a good enough player. You need a better player to have drama. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. He's not going to make a difference between winning and losing. Caleb says, I do not agree. Oh. Talking about the original question. If the Jazz are going to continue to lose, okay, okay. at least, isn't it good enough to give minutes to three rookies? I do not agree. Well, why not? The 76ers tried it, and they still haven't gotten to the NBA Finals. Not only that, Caleb, they haven't gotten to the conference finals. This may not work. Yeah, that's why we love sports, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know if stuff's going to work or not. If teams I got a player who's really good, and by a lot of indications, there's reason to believe he wants out. And that is? Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, but he wants out for New York. <laughs> A three-way deal, though. Let's get some big names going. Let's go. Trader Danny, make it happen. They all want to come back. I mean, look, we had uh, Kirilenko. I saw come. four of them get off the elevator last night. There they were. Yeah. Kirilenko, Kerr, Williams, and Boozer. Did they say hi, DJ? Uh, two of the four did. Two two of the four greeted me, standing against a cement wall. Did they say hi, DJ? No, they did not. They hey! They couldn't remember my name. <laughs> they recognized my face. They don't have a name. I couldn't remember initials. Who either. was it? AKA Memo. And now Williams? We just talked to him face to face a few months ago. Yeah, I don't know. People were talking. They were coming out of the elevator. They didn't know I was going to be there. I'm short. They look at, you know, Boozer and. The crowded Boozer. elevator? You're actually taller than yeah, by yeah. like five inches. And the, the two tall guys American. saw me. That was a terrible. Oh, I am really? Yeah. What's They're the like average? 5'8, five, 5'9? Five, oh, is really that average? I don't know. Gives me something to look up in the break, though. So you're, I appreciate you're that. You're 6'4, full of muscle. I'm <laughs> not 6'4. <six>, <laughs> Oh, notice how he didn't say full of muscle, Yuck. Everybody he didn't argue that, that one. I don't, I don't have to. That one's clearly obvious, as you pointed out so many times. Bench day today. We got it. That's Jelly that, roll. That's because uh, O'Kerr has a real soft heart. He does. He does. And he was almost by me. He like, hey! turned around and patted me on the shoulder. He's a he was genuine talking to somebody. good dude. I mean, they were all sitting on the elevator talking to somebody, and the door opened, and they walked off. They weren't expecting anybody. I had the opportunity to do some things with him. Uh, community-wise, and, boy, he just treated everybody like gold. Mm-hmm. He's, he really is a pleasant person. Uh, we should all be like the way he is. And of course, we should also have multi-memberships to golf. <laughs> golf clubs. Yeah, that'd be good, Country too. clubs. Yeah. But, but even even still, I mean, he always had a good heart. Yep. So it doesn't surprise me that you named him. Karolinko, man, he still looks like he's 25 years old. <laughs> he does look like he's gained <laughs> maybe two or three pounds. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Got the smile going on. and He was very happy and upbeat, which he was not at the end here. This was much more who he was when he got here and started yeah. playing. Yeah. He was very upbeat, smiling, laughing. Yeah, he yeah. was laughing about something walking off the elevator. Whatever they were talking about in the elevator, they were right. cracking each other up. And uh-huh. Clearly happy to be there. For sure. Maybe they can get somebody like the way they did with O'Kerr and Boozer. O'Kerr was a player on that Detroit team, but he wasn't getting he wasn't getting a lot of minutes. And then they brought him over here. He was a nice player. He'd be very effective in today's game with his ability to shoot from the perimeter. He's not wasn't a defensive guy or you know a shot blocker, rim protector type guy. But a little before his time, though, he could yeah, spread yeah. the floor and open it up for for D. Will or yeah. or Carlos Boozer to drive to the rim and not have to worry about the shot blocker who's attached to him. 
Yeah, I think they can adjust defensively on that. You don't necessarily. Well, they certainly have done more of that. Kerr. He was he was uh, before his time, and it was kind of new when they did it. Now that's right. what happens all the time in the NBA. And then Boozer, there was some type of agreement, but it wasn't signed or whatever, and the Jazz swooped in. And he's a nice player. I mean, they didn't get him over the hump, but certainly those teams were a lot better than this team. And and I think once it's like if you. They say if you want a job, it's easier to get a job when you have a job. And I want it's the same type of principle. Well, if you want to get better and go to the finals, is it easier to do it from, if you're from the bottom or from the middle? Because yeah, I put them a, a skosh above the middle back then, though. They oh, they two were all stars. They were above and the middle. And three O'Curry even made it. And so, Karolinko made it. Did Karolinko ever make he it? He had one early in his career, but once those guys got yeah. there, he didn't have the offensive numbers to get there. He went one time. I think Memo only went once, too. But still. But they still went. Yeah. They still went, yeah. I think what you said earlier about Doncic, you know, okay, if they're mired in me- mediocrity in Dallas, well, he doesn't want to go to a team that's under 500 because he's upset with 10 games over 500. He wants to go to a team that's got a chance to win it all. So he's looking for somebody better. He's not looking for the bottom third or bottom half of the league. And the Jazz of that era, those guys, the four fulls, they were they were together and went to the playoffs four years in a row. And they lost to the NBA champ three times and to a team that went to the finals the other time. So they lost to the elite of the league. Do foreign stars really leave, though? It doesn't seem like it. It's the American players who want to get closer to home or back to the college coach or whatever, a bigger market. The Giannis re-upped. It looks like the Joker's happy in Denver. Well, of course he's Doncic has a move. Yeah, right. But so there's three big time stars just off the top of my head, and not only have none of them moved, there's really only been speculation about one of them moving, and he didn't. Doncic will be Mr. Maverick one A. Dirk didn't move. Yeah, he's Mr. Maverick. He's up there drinking some beer in the suite last night. They showed him. I was watching the game before the Jazz game. And his hands are so big, you couldn't see the uh, whatever he's drinking. Label. It just swallows but it looked, the whole thing. It was a can, and then I saw later on social media, uh, Dirk taking it easy, throwing back a hooch. <laughs> so, and he was looking. He was looking at his phone, and, and then he took a swig, but looking like. And he he's a toast of the town in that town, for a football town. For a football mad town, he yeah. has broken through about as well as you could. Right, but he's a champion. Him and Corey Seager. With the Rangers, uh, managed to uh, elevate themselves, uh, so it doesn't seem like that would be available. Just trying to figure out ways for this team uh, to get better. And I'm not interested right now in oh conference final, NBA final. That seems ridiculous to talk about. Seems like it's so far away that why would we be talking about that? We can talk about it, and it sounds good, and the employees talk about it, it's but it seems goal. so unrealistic. It's a goal, but it's a long-term goal. It's a goal of it's every a, team. It's a long-term goal, and it's a long way away, and there's a lot of ground to cover before you get there. Yeah, to me, get into top four or five. You know, that, that, that's where I would be looking. And that's, is that in the middle of the league? I don't think it's the middle of the league. And why is that that's so top, bad to be in that spot? That would be what you're describing as top third. Yeah. 
So I look at a, a four five series because there's not that much difference between a four five. It, you know, I realize you get one more home game if you need it at the end of the series. That's where booze, the Boozer Williams team spent a lot of time in four five series. Well, so did Mitchell and and those guys. But get yeah. there before you start talking about. Well, we're not skipping steps. Yeah, and your steps are going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to get a little uh, meter on my wrist, and it's going to be ten thousand steps. What am I worried about that for? I keep hearing that. They don't want to skip steps. Oh, great. And I want to live till I'm 150. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't think you want to live to 150. Well, if I'm as buff as I am now, why not? Because all your friends die and you got nobody to talk to about that music crap. or whatever. You're a hero. You're going to vote for him. He's 81 years old. He's not going to make it to 150. I had somebody. Yeah, you gotta make the eighty-two. I, I got bad fam- news for I you. I had a family friend in their nineties say, <laughs> "Congratulate him on there." I think it was their ninety-fourth birthday. Ah, great, ninety-four. That's awesome. Nah, I wouldn't recommend it. The seventies and the eighties were great, but the nineties not so much. Cold-blooded analysis, <laughs> and they weren't kidding. It was like I okay, when well, I get somebody else who the president of the Latter-day Saint Church is going to tell you he loves life. There you go. So now we're even. What do you got for me? <laughs> you're not making I got you're not making it to 150 and you don't want to but it's pointless to me to talk about getting to a conference final they're building for the ultimate prize yeah and you're you're building the Taj Mahal and you just freaking shoveled dirt <laughs> 75 years in front of you yeah, they're building the a LDS lot, uh, Latter-day Saint Temple downtown. It would take 40 years. I saw Jay-Z just the other day. He was up at the quarry. <laughs> he was getting a, getting a rock, bringing it down. At this rate, can we get going a little faster here? Shot, some, have, shot have, some rocks in the fourth quarter. Did they have quarter. a team of oxen and a... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... It was Sunday, and I did see those oxen in the mire. And they were stuck in the mire. Ah, there we go. The okay, there we go. <laughs> I've learned a lot from you guys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Welcome. I got a couple more friends that can talk to you too if you want. Have them give them a call. Give them the number. What's our number? 864 3656, keyword something or other. Nailed it. More on this with David Locke, Utah Jazz Radio Voice at 805. Jason Christ from Real Salt Lake at 830. And great awesome Utah State's star player coming up at 9 o'clock right here on the zone. The band of the day, Def Leppard, brought to you by Live Nation. Def Leppard comes to Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater September 10th. Tickets go on sale today at 10 a.m. at LiveNation.com. All right, man, I'm getting in line at 9.45. There it is. They at the amphitheater? Yep. Getting in line, that's old school. I love that. Well, you got to get in line even if it's electronically. Yeah. That's what I meant. I didn't mean literally online. (laughs) Literally. The online line. Yeah. I mean, you got to get your place so when it opens, then you can. go time. Yeah. While you were uh, watching all that hoops last night, the Jazz game and the uh, Mavericks game, did you see the uh, Utah women at UCLA? Yeah, yeah. They got down 12-0, and uh, that was all she wrote. That was pretty much it. The Bruins' size overwhelming them. Mookie Betts' daughter. <laughs> she's bigger than Mookie Betts. Lauren Betts. Lauren Betts. Yeah. Dominating. Yeah, she's a good player. Um, yeah, I'm starting to think, you know, Utah, the women, sometimes the breaks just go against you. 
and they had their you know one of the top probably their second best player in a non-contact play during the uh, BYU game go down. Brinley has a foot injury, right? Broken foot or something like yeah. that. Out for the season. They showed Neepkins last night. She was sitting on the bench. She's got yeah. the big old walking boot on her. Which yeah, we're we're what two months removed, if not three, and um, then Johnson, their one of their taller players, gets her skull cracked open. Had to elbow. go get had to go to stitches early in the game. Miss came back, but missed most of the game. Yeah, it was over by the time she came back. And they had a couple other players out. Uh, Sometimes the breaks go against you, right? I mean, they split with UCLA, who's ranked number twelve now. They beat them at home in overtime, but everybody wasn't going to go win at Poly. Men's basketball just won there. Gymnastics just won there. Baron Women's Davis basketball. was at the game. Baron Davis was there. I saw that shot. Was he talking to Tracy Murray? And they didn't identify him. They the did. He was turned away. Obviously, did not know that he was, was Tracy Murray. He turned away, and so I wasn't sure. It was Tracy Murray. Yeah. Okay. He does the radio uh, analyst job for the men. Okay. He was a local guy. I remember him uh, as a prepster in the. In and they the area. they don't have a midweek game because USC and UCLA are playing on Saturday. So. Yeah, I think he went to uh, the same high school as Casey Jacobson, Glendora, out there in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, so. Well, the youths weren't the only one who had a hard night. Caitlin Clark, she was human. Oh, only 24? 20, on 8 of 26 shooting. And Iowa lost to Indiana in, a, in front of a sellout crowd, 17,000 at Assembly Hall. Indiana got all sorts of fired up and took them down. Well, it's it, this, she's the biggest attraction in women's uh, sports yeah, yeah, yeah. right now, yep. if not even beyond that. So all these folks are coming out to see her play, and that's really cool. I mean, I mean women's basketball, I don't think, has ever received as much publicity. And in large part, it's because of her. And that's fun to see. And uh, shooting is going to be fickle. I'd rather have my bad shooting nights at the end of February than in March. So second, Caitlin Clark's second lowest point total of the year, 21 against Florida Gulf Coast was her lowest. Hey, I'm on the Jay Williams bandwagon. What's she ever won? <laughs> you are not. <laughs> Potster. <laughs> Two Jersey guys. Uh-huh. Jay, we're both Jersey natives. Mm-hmm. That's what Jay Williams is. He's one of my brothers. <laughs> What did she ever want? Pfft. Score a bunch of points. What did he do? What was she, 4 42, you said? 8 of 26. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's it. That's just, that's going to happen in this game. Iowa drops to 23 and 4, and they probably won't win the, the Big Ten now. Ohio State's probably going to do it. They're 14 and 1 in league play, a couple games in front of Iowa and Indiana. So it's going to be the Buckeyes. Uh, yeah, at that level, does it really matter? They're all in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, like for Utah State, you know, they, they stand a good chance to win the regular season. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, it's not that big of a deal. Would they trade a regular season title to win two games and go to the Sweet 16 for the first time would. in more than 50 years? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Uh, but that's a good spot to be in. I mean, you still it's still good to say, hey, we, we were won the, the conference. Yeah. yeah. But even at that... And, and it always has sort of mystified me. So the teams play 16, 18, 20 games, whatever it is. They've increased them a little bit uh, in conference. It depends on the league. Yeah. yeah. And then they go down to a particular location, 
and you play two or three games, and if you win that, then that team's jumping up and down like crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got it's multiple a, things to win in college hoops. It always seemed a little silly to me that that they put so much emphasis on that, and you, to an extent, you de-emphasize what would appear to be harder. You know, you've got a basically the conference season in college ball is two months, right? And it's all these games. So you want to be the better team over two months. You want to be the better team over one week. Or you're the best team. Over two months or over one week. Well, it's even less than a week. It's a half a week. <laughs> it is. It's not a whole week. But three games is a week full of games for college. Years. And some of them, they didn't even have that. With the way the West Coast Conference Tournament was set up, Gonzaga could win it with two victories. Right, yep. right. Most conferences, you got to win three. I just, and I'm, I'm but, they, but they put like 85, 90% of the emphasis is on that. That's the automatic bid. Here, you get nothing. Now, in most conferences, you will get in. And Utah State has put themselves in a great spot. In the Mountain West, you will. To sure. where they don't. They basically don't have to worry about it now. But then you go down there, wherever there is, in this case, it's literally down there in Vegas, wherever the conference for the youth or the Cougars will be uh, back Kansas to KC. Yeah. And I, I just don't know that you should be substantially rewarded or significantly penalized on what happens in that situation. After you've just had two months to prove who you are of going through a grind, and it really is that could be somewhat fluky. Now, a lot of times it isn't, but it's so it's it's just I don't know if ironic is the right word, but the Utes for so many years won the thing over the two months, won the thing in Vegas. And then the one time they get beat in their first game, which was Vegas's second game, they go all the way to the final game. It didn't make any sense. Nothing about that made sense. But that's the system, and everybody knows it going in, so we, you we can't know, really complain about we it. We know how you're wired, man. You're Mr. Logical, and you want logic. And it just didn't make any sense. Very but, frustrating. But the thing that I'm saying is they shouldn't be penalized for it. Was Utah, what, what seed were they? Were they a three? They a four? were three. Were they penalized for that loss? That's not logical. I'd have to go back and look. I don't know. They were a two the year before, so maybe they were penalized a little bit, but I have to look what other teams did. I don't remember who the other two and three seeds were and how they stacked up. What it I'm saying is worked out. go sig- put more emphasis on the body over two months rather than over three days. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. When we come back, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joins us. Jason Kreis is talking RSL at 830 and great Osborne Utah State's Star Forward is coming up at 9 o'clock right here on The Zone. Nominate the youth sports volunteer that you know for the Hercules Hero of the Week. Submit your nomination at kslsports.com forward slash contest and listen every Thursday afternoon to our guys, JJ and Alex, for the winner. Help us celebrate the efforts of those volunteers making an impact with the Hercules Hero of the Week. And yes, it's sponsored by Hercules Credit Union. DJ PK, it is 97.5 The Zone. The Utah Jazz were beaten again. The Charlotte Hornets with a fourth-quarter rally. They win the fourth quarter 30-17. to They win the game 115-107. Jazz have now lost five in a row, and here to talk about it, 
David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And his weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. Patrick Kinahan, how are you? <laughs> Excellent. That's a lot of energy and enthusiasm out of the gate on a Friday morning. I'm good. Hey, there's few things I get more excited about every week than talking to PK and DJ. That's the first time I've ever put PK's name first. It felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it worked. You sound like my family. They put DJ's name first, or they just put everybody else's name first? Yeah, yeah, it's just uncomfortable to say my initials. Oh, okay. I'm not loved. I accepted it, though. I'm okay. Okay. I'm fine with it. I mean, hey, our scars are what make us the greatest, so yeah. I understand. They call me D-Will at home. That's interesting. I've never been called C-Booze. <laughs> but I can see it. I think I was called that in college, but that's another story. All right. Shall we proceed now? <laughs> Go ahead. That got, that, got that out of your that system? That's yeah, because as long as they're not calling you AK-47, we're okay. <laughs> there you go. Positives. <laughs> Everybody wants to know how good these rookies are going to be because it's no longer fun to talk about the playoff race. So, all right, let's talk about the rookies. Do you see yep. anything that you want to say definitively about any of these guys, things you've really figured out about these guys, at least as they are right now? I mean, obviously, they're going to have a chance to evolve here over a year, three, five, whatever it turns out to be. What do you think? Something definitive. I know this. Um, Keontae's going to be able to score in the league. Um you know, how efficiently will probably be the question, but he'll certainly be able to score. Um, he's learning spots. You're seeing kind of this, you know, early in the year, I remember talking to Keontae about like where he was getting his shots. And he was like, I don't know. Like they just come from everywhere. <laughs> and now you're seeing his shots are all very similar. Like one to the next is, is, you know, he's got the off the bounce three behind the pick and roll as a shot. He's got, um, that drive, left-hand drive, dive the right shoulder into the guy, creates space to clear the right hand out for the shot. So you're seeing clearly he's going to be able to score in this league and get his shots off. So that's on, on him, I think, maybe most importantly. Um, you know, there just are not a lot of 6'9", 210-pound athletes that match the um, – you know, perform the, the athleticism of Taylor, and that's wildly obvious every night he plays. He makes a play or two in every game. What is he going to be able to do? I, I don't have anything definitive on that yet. Like, I'm not convinced his, his shot's a 36% NBA three-point shot yet. I'm not convinced that he's ever – that you know, his handle's good enough to create offense. Um, so I haven't seen – I haven't seen things in that realm that – that tell me anything. Um, and honestly, we haven't seen enough against Bryce. I really liked his college tapes and his ability to, to make plays and score offensively. Um, you know, Will Hardy the other day in a press conference, I think you were there, DJ was asked, like, what do you want to see out of Bryce? And he said, anything that doesn't involve scoring. And last night he had no rebounds and no assists. So um, I don't think we really have an answer yet on that. Um so I think that's, you know, I think some of those things are still a little unclear. Um, but definitively, I know that Taylor's an elite athlete. That's why he drafted him ninth. And I know that Keontae's going to be able to score and play in the league. And I think maybe most importantly on Keontae, um, I also know that he loves the game. And the, you know, Will talks about it a lot, how much he watches the game, is engaged in the game, and pays attention to the game. And I think that's 
that's going to be. It's so obvious that Hendricks is really just an elite athlete. And, and from that perspective, even if he never develops an offensive game, he's fun to watch. And just for argument's sake, just say he is not uh, a, a polished offensive player in three or four years, but because of his other abilities, what level of effectiveness do you think he can still have on a team as far as being able to help them win? And that's just assuming, for argument's sake, that the offense doesn't come around to where they would like it. So his downside becomes Robert Covington, don't you think? Do you go with me on that? His, his downside, like his bottom level, is that he's a 34% three-point shooter, elite athlete that defends and becomes Robert Covington? I was thinking even more, but I don't know what more. Um, okay. Who, what was... I mean, like a Gobert I mean, light. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like Gobert. I mean, Gobert but he's not light. as tall. So, I mean, in his own frame type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's well, okay. So then that's that's Robert Covington. Okay, that's an elite defensive wing defender who's limited offensively, can't dribble well enough to make plays, is an adequate passer because he understands the game, um, and that's you know that's so that's him. That's that's who I think we're talking about at that point. Um, so you and I are saying the same thing. We're just um, you know, if he becomes a great defensive player, he becomes Jaron Jackson. Junior is defensive player of the year, but that's probably, you know, it's hard when you comp. You end up always comping the, um, you know, the best player you can possibly find. That always seems like a bit much, right? Like, right. It's more along my lines of you can still have a positive effect on the team that goes beyond just a limited role. That's what I'm getting at. Is that a possibility? Yeah, and, I mean, that's why you draft. Game that's why you Hundred percent, like that's, but that's why you draft six nine two ten, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jade McDaniel's is the best example of of everything um, from from that standpoint. Minnesota drafted Jade McDaniel's in a in a steal pick, what twenty eighth in the draft, either before or after Desmond Bain and Adoka Azubuke, um, and now he's turned into be a pretty decent offensive player. Um, and you, you, at that time, and he came out as a defensive player, but he was at Washington. He was like the number one option ball hog, didn't share, had no, had tunnel vision, had no idea, had teammates. It just didn't matter. He just had such incredible body. And, you know, I was going through trying to find comps for Taylor Hendricks. And the number one thing that jumped out to me is just how few guys there are in the league that are six nine two two oh five two ten. Like, he's just not a, just a, like, it's just a heck of a find. Like, if you go kind of run through the league, like, it's hard to find that guy. Like, like Aaron Gordon. Okay, well, Aaron Gordon's a little bigger now, but he's also the fourth pick of a draft, right? Like, yeah. you start running through and finding these guys, they're all they're all fourth and fifth, sixth picks of a draft. And, like, I was trying to find, like, a comp that wasn't necessarily an early pick. Like, Lucas Samanich is a pretty good example. He really has not had any success yet in his NBA career. He's got another four or five years to go. Because before he hopefully clicks in somewhere, because he's got such a unique body that he, people are going to keep signing him. You just don't, you can't find that body. So, I mean, I there's no like you watch Taylor in the opening moments of his career. There's just no doubt why he went ninth. And I thought Jake Scott had a great point 
Like, if he had all the skills we wanted to have, he would have gone second. He would have been Brandon Miller. Fact. Um, yeah, fact. <laughs> right. So I think that, like, but but you're seeing it. Like, the even the foul where he he blocks the shot on the drive last night and commits the foul with his forearm. Okay, well, that's just teaching. Like, oh, you can't, can't do that. And he'll learn that. And, you know, then the offensive <laughs> rebounds are real. And he hits a three. Like, I, I'm not convinced he's a 38% three-point shooter yet. We'll have to see. Like, it doesn't feel like it right now. But right. give him some time. Let right. the game slow down. Um, but, no, his downside is that he just plays in the league for 12 years. Yeah. Both Keontae, both Keontae and Taylor should have 10-plus year careers, which is a big win on those picks. And, um, and I, you know, the question on Keontae is just whether he's going to play hard enough, and I think he's showing he is. Walker Kessler now in his second year. It looked like they were trying to post him up in the middle of the lane, and he kind of fumbles the ball away, and he took a three. I didn't feel like it had a good chance of going in. It feels like offensively the dunk spot is still the place he needs to be, and anything else is too big an ask. Am I off on that? Is it evolving in another direction, or is that just where things sit at the offensive end of the floor? I think he's getting better slashing from the wing maybe even better than in the dunker. Like, the dunker's actually been a little bit of a problem for him right under the basket because then he's got to catch and somehow work his way to the basket and he's got to make himself available there, and that's that's not been the easiest spot for him so far. Um, so there's there's some positioning there that he's got to learn on how to how to get the ball there and have it be a, a place where he can be successful. Um, so I um, – but I think – yeah, and no, I mean, one of the big things in the next 26 games is, is how we can be successful offensively with Walker on the floor and how Walker's defense, which is terrific, has not always led to good defense as a team yet. Like, that's we haven't gotten there yet for some reason. I mean, his rim defense is the second best in the NBA inside six feet. He's massively impactful. But we haven't necessarily – we're better when he's on the floor defensively. We're not good. So how can we become good defensively when Walker's on the floor? Um, last night was better, just overall defensively. That was a really good effort. I think they only allowed like 14 shots at the rim. They just got beat by a lot of above-the-break threes. There were a lot of things last night that were a lot better. Though. Could you explain to our listeners why they don't think Collins and Kessler are a good combo together on the floor? Uh, data would be the first one. The data's yeah, pretty overwhelming. That's, that's what I'm saying. Point. Explain the data. Um, yeah, so the data is that I think the two of them on the floor together are about minus nine for 100 possessions, which takes you into kind of the 60-loss team. Um, it's a, I think it's a floor spacing issue. So as much as John does shoot the three, and he made one last night, which was great because he had, you know, it was actually a question I asked Ron on the broadcast. Like, if you're in a shooting slump going to the All-Star break and you come out of the All-Star break – um, are you still in a shooting slump, or does it actually start at zero zero? And um, and so he hits the three. So let's assume it went to zero zero. But even if John's making the three, people aren't guarding him. Like he's not a big enough threat that people go to guard him. And so then, if you space John and you space Walker, no one's following either of them, and they don't have gravity. And so then the lane is just completely clogged up for anybody who wants to drive to the basket, and then. Um, defensively, they haven't been able to have the impact. You, you know, you might sacrifice. You, you, we sacrificed that for years with Gobert and Favors. Like Gobert and Favors might have been the last lineup of two bigs that couldn't dribble, pass, and shoot on the floor together in the NBA. But it was so great defensively that you were like, okay, like we'll take the uniqueness, 
negative of this lineup that we have two bigs, that can, two players that can't dribble, pass, and shoot on the floor because our defensive rating is like a 94. But that hasn't happened with John and Walker on the floor together. The defense hasn't been elite, and so you can't afford to have the offensive struggles with the lack of spacing. Since Larry, and you really couldn't play. You really couldn't play Chris Dunn, John Collins, and Walker Kessler together. Like that's that's three non-shooters. Yeah, or non-scorers. Since Lowry Marketing came to Utah, his uh, shots per game has been up around sixteen or seventeen a night. There are times when I'm watching a game, I feel like he's not getting enough touches or shots. Now, if you're getting 16 or 17 and you're going to the line a little bit, so you're probably getting fouled when you're shooting, you're getting even more shots. Is he involved enough? Do you think more stuff needs to run through him, or is this just given his ball handling capabilities and who he is about where it needs to be? Where where is this going? This is interesting because um, I'm going to call us all out. Hopefully nobody's offended by this. So we opened the post-game show last night talking about how we didn't get Lowry the ball enough. Mm-hmm. And I agreed. I was part of the conversation. I'm not, like, ducking this. So then I went and watched the fourth quarter. We ran every play for Lowry. Almost. So we opened the quarter. Six of our first eight plays were for Lowry. Five of them were isolation post-ups. He didn't score on any of them. He hit Walker Kessler on a slash to the basket on one of them. But he didn't score on any of them. Then when Keontae came back, then Jordan goes one-on-one on something and Sexton has a one-on-one and we have some plays and there's an offensive foul on Lowry on the pick and there's some other stuff in there. And then when we come, then we bring Keontae and John Collins in and now we ran pick and roll with Lowry every single play, whether it was Spain pick and roll where he was the one popping to the top off a Collins pick or whether it was Sexton and Keontae or whether it was Collins or Keontae, or, sorry, Sexton and Lowry or Keontae and Lowry. Almost every play involved Lowry. So I think that narrative is pretty debunked, and I think it's wrong. I get it. Like, he's not shooting every time. Right. But honestly, he's not very good at that. Like, can we just be honest for a second? He's great. He's a top 25 player in the NBA. He's awesome. I love having him on our team. He's like, we can do the accolades. But if we just want to be really honest, the isolation of the post, he went, 0 for 4 on those big plays last night. Like, he got blocked to the rim by Richards. He missed a turnaround jumper. He committed an offensive foul. And he had, couldn't get the ball one of the times. Like, not 0 for 4 like shooting, but we, we tried to run the play. Like, and he couldn't, like, it's not it's not his game yet. We give him the ball at the nail because you can't really give him the ball. Um, you can't really give him the ball outside the three-point line because he's not a four-dribble guy. There was one last night early in the game where he did that, which was great. Um, but he, that's not his game yet. That's, that's, that's what takes him from the 25th ranked player in the NBA to a top 10 to 15 player in the NBA is when he can do it. And we're trying to develop. It's probably the single most important thing for the next 25 games. But when we all talk about like Lowry, not getting enough shots, I just think it's really a, a, a false kind of, a, I don't want to like throw us all into the bus because I was a part of it. So I'm not, I'm not th- like, but it's, there's a real lack of depth to it, frankly. Like, if we run a pick and roll with Keontae George and Lowry Markinen and Keontae and Lowry pops and the big goes with him and Keontae drives to the basket for a layup, like, that's how the play's supposed to work. Yeah, Lowry didn't get the shot, but Keontae got a layup. And if Colin Sexton comes off a Lowry pick and Lowry pops to a clear side and the big goes with him, 
and Sexton drives the basket and draws a foul and gets two free throws, that's how the play's supposed to work. Both those things happened last night. Those are plays for Lowry marketing. Like, if they don't guard that right, Colin Sexton and Keontae George are throwing it back to Lowry. The one time that they didn't, the two times they didn't do that, Keontae hit Lowry for a three, and the second time he hit Lowry for a three that was wiped off by a Colin Sexton offensive foul. So I just think that's – I actually think it's unfair to Lowry, and I think it's unfair to the coaching staff, and I think it's actually unfair to the other players because there's an implication that they – like, don't know that Lowry's the best player trying to get Lowry the ball. It's just how the game is played. And Lowry's not a player yet where we can just walk down the floor. Where Will's doing it right. He's running an interchange on the wing with a guard and Lowry that gets the small on Lowry, and then Lowry goes and posts him up in the block. But it's not a play that's been very successful for us. So what it comes down to is that was a 17-point fourth quarter for the Jazz. And he gets all those touches early in the quarter, but it's not registering with everybody because there isn't the urgency at that point in the game. And later on, they see a pick and roll. Lowry's defended, so the play goes somewhere else. And the frustration builds like, Lowry's the best player. He should be able to fix this. Charlotte shouldn't be rallying in the fourth quarter. That's how that happens. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. But honestly, Lowry's not capable of fixing that unless somebody leaves him open. Lowry is not at a stage right now offensively where he has self-created offense. Tim Lacombe has an, had an amazing stat on Lowry Marketing earlier this year of guys that average 20 points a game in the league. His average touch time is the lowest of anyone in the league. So, like, if Luka is scoring 30, and he's the best offensive player in the world, so this is probably not a fair comparison, but Luka's average touch time is four or five seconds. Why? Because he's working it. He's getting in position. He's forcing the defense to bend. He's making the other alter with it, creating an opportunity for his teammates because of that. Lowry's touch time is like 1.7 seconds. He's catching and shooting. It's not self-created offense. David, uh, by the way, well, let's let's just in this conversation, let's also point out that Lowry had his career high six assists last night. So he's he's in the developmental process of this and doing. And making the steps. It's just not where he is today. It doesn't mean he won't get there one day. It doesn't mean he's not working on it. We probably ran about eight isolations for him last night. We usually run about two. I think it's going to be a major emphasis for the final 25 games of the year so he can work on this and learn how to develop it and open his own space when he catches. Like I think his weakness is often he catches and he doesn't own the space. He's got to learn how to catch with footwork that gives him the advantage from the start. But to his credit, that six assists last night is a career high, and one of them was in this fourth quarter on a slash to Walker for a lay. It was a beautiful play, and a play he probably wouldn't have made eight months ago. David, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you again next Thank week. Thank you, guys. See ya. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, with six assists, put Lowry Markin in at 2.0 assists per game for the first time in his career. You need to just Never get off his twice. back, man. Jeez. <laughs> Locke or marketing hey, or what both? What a nitpicker you are. Locke or marketing or both? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I really, Put I really the spotlight don't. Spotlight on me. It's on you. <laughs> when we come back, Jason Christ, Rail Salt Lake will join us next. We'll talk about the opener and then the game in St. Louis tomorrow night. That's next. Great Osabar, Utah State. Star Forward. It's coming up at 9 o'clock right here on the zone. 
This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. We're in Big 12 country now. You know what's really relevant in the Big 12? College basketball. And if the local programs can step up to the competition level, man, we're in for college basketball being really relevant around here and hopefully to stay. And good for BYU for kicking in the door. I didn't think they'd beat Baylor in their first year. Baylor is a upper echelon program. And BYU's beaten Baylor in their first year. Hats off to that program for meeting the challenge. Khalif, obviously the big story with his best outing of the season and got BYU some easy baskets. And then the other thing that BYU did very well is they won the math equation, which is if you're going to let us hit 14 threes, you're going to lose. And that's a smart design from Mark Pope. There's a lot of good going down in Provo in the basketball department and got to give him credit. I 100% admit I was skeptical about it. And what a year. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. We are joined now by Jason Christ from Ralph Salt Lake. Jason, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. We're curious. Are you in Utah, Miami, or St. Louis? I am in Fort Lauderdale, actually. Not Miami, but yeah, South Florida here. Watching the guys train right now. Is this uh, is this a trip down memory lane? For people who don't know, when the Miami Fusion... Uh, folded uh, 20 however many years ago. You were there. Former head coach Jeff Kassar had been there. Nick Ramonda was there. Kyle Beckerman was there. Um, longtime broadcaster and uh, member of the original team, Brian Dunseth, was there. How many? How did so many guys end up in Utah who were in Miami at one point? This one there, Pablo Marcarini was in Miami. Pablo, I knew I forgot somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, a lot of lot of connections there, isn't it? And um, I never played here, but I did come down here quite a few times to play away games at, at the old Lockhart Stadium. So interesting now that the the new stadium sits on the exact same site and the training facility just across the street. So they have a really nice setup here for sure. How do you balance maybe possibly missed opportunity? With a stronger second half as far as optimism going forward, recognizing it's just barely getting started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting game, right? Really, it's only two halves. Well, the first half, we saw a team that looked extremely nervous about the uh, about the scene. And, you know, obviously, with, with players like Messi and Suarez and Busquets out there and Jordi Alba, you know, I think we just gave them a lot, a lot too much respect. Um, but also just the guys being nervous about the about the whole event. Uh, and then when they settled down, you know, I thought towards the end of the first half was looking pretty good. We had a couple of really good chances. And then the entire second half, for me, was a much better indication of what we want to do and how we want to play. Miami gave the ball uh, in the first 20, 25 minutes. I think they had five or six really bad giveaways deep in their end. Now, they'd had an issue with that in some of the preseason stuff I saw. So how much do you think that was – Miami is just struggling with this portion of the game at this por- in this portion of the season, and how much is that a sign of how good RSL is going to be when they bring that high pressure? Yeah, I think you, you, you hit it right. You know, obviously, I don't think that either team is probably nearly as sharp as they're going to become. Uh, a lot of unfair errors in the game overall, actually, both halves. Um, but also, you know, it's part of what I was saying earlier about as part of the group looking a little bit nervous, I thought we were really hesitant to just apply pressure to our opponent. And once we did that, I know Pablo had a good word with the, with the guys at halftime. Once we did that in the second half, you saw things change. Um, and I do agree. I think that that's probably going to be one of Miami's downfalls this year is that, that 
you know, they they tend to give the ball away pretty simply and cheaply in bad spots of the field. Saw some a little bit of frustration over missed opportunities. Is something that you feel like can be fairly easily ironed out? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. In the first half, I thought Chucho's chance was a simple one to put away, and he just kind of slapped that. And then I think we just we saw that on a couple of occasions where guys just were a little bit rushed about what they were doing and slashing at the ball. Uh, but in my experience, tells me that that's very, very typical for MLS teams that are coming off of preseason. It's the last part that really comes together is, is what happens in the final third and in particular what happens in front of goal. How much is this team going to change? Because presumably you've got two starters waiting to join the team. Maybe maybe Matt Crooks is going to be able to play in St. Louis. I'm not sure about his availability for the second game. But by the third or fourth game, there could be a couple starters who aren't even with the club right now. How much is that going to change what we're seeing? I think it's going to change it um, dramatically, actually. We're, we're big believers in Crooks. We're big believers in Petronas. Um, both of those guys should be contending for starting positions the bat. To update everybody, I'm sitting here watching Crooks training, so I think he will be available for Saturday. It'll just be a question of how much he'll be available for because he just landed from uh, from London last night. You open on the road with the, these games, and you have no choice. you got to do it. That's the schedule. But how much can you use it to your advantage in terms of maybe uh, eliminating distractions from home and get some team bonding going and all that type of stuff? Yeah, it's always always opportunities when you're, when you're traveling, like you said, for the guys to be forced to spend more time together. So we believe that that's going to be a big um, a big factor of us performing well. It's going to be the connections between the players, connections between the players and staff, connections between staff and management. We think that all of that alignment will be critical for us to succeed. So we are hope, hoping to take advantage of that opportunity with these two road games. Jason, as I'm sure you're aware, in addition to being a sportscaster, I'm also an amateur psychologist. So factor wow. factor really? that into this next question. When I see 17-year-old Fidel Barajas and he's supposed to be this talent, it's, it's like, okay, he's 17. Everybody's got to have patience with him. But I thought on a night when there were a lot of nerves, the amateur psychologist reading his body language, when he came in the game, he just came in the game and played and didn't seem to be as impacted as some of the other, other guys had been earlier in the match. And I've been told, I haven't been around him much at all, but I've been told that uh, he is mature beyond his years and he maybe can really give the club something this season. What's your assessment of him, both his talent, but also factoring the fact he's 17? Well, let me answer, start telling you that I was a psychology major from college. kid. You and I must both be in the same boat here with our amateur slash professional psychological opinions. Um, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Fidel, for me, I'm seeing signs of what I think could be a top, top player in our league. And most of those signs that I'm seeing, you know, obviously there's a, there's a technical perspective where he's, he's got good technique and he's got quality on the ball and he's a really good finisher around the goal. But what I like more than any of that stuff is just his mentality. Uh, he's a very hungry player. I call these guys hungry because they just they look like they they look like they're just so hungry to to improve and to be better and to become a top player. And he's got that sort of mindset and he's got this sort of no fear um, to him that we really like. I agree. I think you know, the night he came off the bench and he looked like he was he was comfortable. Yet there was no no nerves that you saw in a lot of the other guys at the beginning of the game. That's for sure. So you think that's a good spot for him, obviously, because his being so young 
and ease him into it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a player that's that's new to our league and new to our team, it's good that they they're forced to kind of come in and contribute. I think it's it's obviously an easier thing to do is to come into a game, watch the game for 60 minutes, understand sort of where the weaknesses are and where the space that you could operate in is, uh, and then come and have positive contributions. So I think that's a really good starting point for him, and I think we'll continue to see that. But I expect that this is going to be a kid that's going to contribute a lot for our team this year. As far as your contribution, when you came back to the club, it was explained that uh, you would be creating kind of a new role. There'd be some business, there'd be some soccer, but it sounded like a lot of the stuff was to be determined. And uh, now you've got the title club director. What does that mean? What's been determined? What still has to be figured out as far as your role? Dave, I've been doing a lot, a lot with just that alignment piece and a lot with the culture of the club and trying to establish an identity and a culture and a soccer methodology that can be consistent running up from the 15s to the 17s to right into RSL uh, and really trying to pull everybody together so that we all understand exactly what our motivations are and exactly what we can get. Um, and so that process has been really enjoyable for me. Um, obviously, it's, you know, anytime that you're asking people to do something different or do something more than what they've done before, it's, you, you run into some, some troubles. But all in all, it's been a really good experience. And I think we're all beginning to understand where we're trying to get. RSL has St. Louis coming up now, uh, Saturday night. And they finished in the top spot in the West a year ago. They did not finish the season particularly well. The very end was a struggle, and they're out quickly in the uh, in the postseason. But they've opened with a win in the, well, it used to be called the Champions League, the Champions Cup now. So they've got a competitive game under their belt. What are you expecting from them? What's the main uh, challenge for RSL in, uh, in game number two? Yeah, really interesting club that, that did amazing things last year. I think really surprised everybody around the game how well they did and how many wins they got and where they finished, right? They played in the Western Conference. And then talking to see them go out in the first round of the playoffs. So that is probably both good and bad. <laughs> the bad is that I think they're going to come into this season with a with a little real bit between their teeth. And we saw them perform Tuesday night, I think it was, uh, with Houston. Really solid performance and a good win against a very good team. Um, and they're, I think they're also a, a group that, that has um, a little bit of a different mindset and a different confidence at home. So it's going to be a difficult, difficult opponent for us Saturday night. They did another thing. I think they probably rotated some players in that game Tuesday, probably played a little bit weaker lineup than what we expect to see Saturday because some of their best players may have gotten some rest. So challenging for us. Um, but I think, you know, again, after our second half performance, we have some confidence to take out of that. And hopefully they can put that performance together for more like 90 minutes this game and come out with a positive result. Jason, we appreciate a few minutes, and we will uh, talk to you again later this season. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Appreciate it. Jason Kreiss, Real Salt Lake Club Director, join us right here on The Zone. Great Osibor, Utah State star player, is going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes. The Aggies get the weekend off. Come down from the... Uh, what must have been a massive sugar rush and a massive high after beating the San Diego State Aztecs in a sold-out spectrum that was going nuts. He will join us coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour right here on The Zone. 
accessing. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. Mark Harlan, athletic director at the University of Utah. I would have bet that the Big 12 would have had you and BYU playing the final weekend of the season. They've got you playing on November 9th. Is that something that you guys liked or preferred? Don't ever want to speak for Tom, but where I was on it was that I wasn't wedded to it, and I want to maximize it for television because the Holy War deserves it. So I just told the Big 12, and obviously Tom was in agreement, that let's just put it at a place that's great. You know, we're aspirational to be in Dallas for that championship game. I'm sure BYU you as too and uh you know maybe playing that rival game quickly was in my mind but at the end of the day if they put it there we would have said let's go but i think you know what we said was we're not wedded to that and folks were maybe for that or against that in the community but you know i think it's just a few weeks before that now right where it fell and i imagine it'll be a real prime time type telecast catch hanson scotty weekdays from noon to three on 97.5 the ksl sports zone catch def leopard on there the Summer Stadium Tour 2024 as they make a stop at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on September 10th. Get your tickets now at LiveNation.com or listen to The Zone all day on Thursday, February 29th for your chance to win. So Yak was just telling us in the break that uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve Starks, <laughs> not, that, not that conversation, <laughs> conversation about Major League Baseball uniforms that we do not need to repeat. But if you know what's going on there, I, you can imagine. I thought maybe this was your last show. It's a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. But first, <laughs> I like to say, <laughs> Steve Starks, Yak also told us earlier in the break, Steve Starks, is, and people, I guess, are live tweeting it, is speaking at the state legislature, so, talking yeah. about baseball, coming to Utah, and expansion, and... On the list of things that are surprising in the world of sports, you have something you want to say, Yak? Yeah, so it's House Bill 562. It's the Fair Park Bill, which you give them the subsidy. There's a billion dollars apparently up up for this bill to help build out that power district. And a it says, billion dollars? Yeah. Steve Stark, speaking in favor of this bill, says the third-party market studies indicate that Salt Lake City could begin with the 17th highest attendance in Major League Baseball. Okay. I don't know how he knows that, but we'll go with it. They've done some market they, studies. They've done market research and predicting how many people will go to a game and all that. Okay. What's that average? 20s, 25? Probably, yeah. That probably sounds about the right ballpark, so to speak. Hey, <laughs> You're a ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> On the list of surprising things, this state legislature. They haven't approved them yet, but it looks like they're in the process of approving tax hikes to pay for new stadiums and or improvements to current ones. Raising the uh, tax on hotel rooms and maybe rental cars to pay for the baseball and the sales tax increase to pay for a hockey or basketball renovation of the Delta Center or new hockey and, and a district there. I got to say, things I didn't think I'd see, put these right at the top. And it looks like they're going to happen. Why didn't you think you'd see them? The attitude towards taxation in the state, always cutting taxes, don't raise them. Do we have representation, them. though? 
You do have representation. Now you want to get into a whole political science <laughs> discussion? It's a short segment, and you nearly derailed it from the start, which is beautiful. You did, not me. I did not. You I knew did, exa- too. I knew exactly what I was well, going to talk did, about. We didn't. Well, all you had to do was sit there quietly and listen. You would That's have not out. my job. <laughs> Hence, you nearly derailed it, which is your job. I agree. Finally came to consensus. I, I never contemplated it. You're contemplating you what the light state legislation is going to oh, do? Or that for 20 I years, taking questions, over there. do you think that, me neither, but that's not the point. The point is, for 20 years, do you think we'll ever get baseball and football here? No. Who'll build a stadium? Hockey, maybe, because the arenas are so useful with concerts. You can put so many events in them, you can pay for them. But it usually takes, not always, but it usually takes tax money to build NFL and MLB stadiums. And I didn't think there was any appetite for that. And there I would is tax TV anchors. And there is apparently an appetite for tax money. Because they make a ton of money. They all got big TVs. In the baseball and football stadiums. And I find that surprising. I got a big TV. <laughs> Derailed. <laughs> Comma. Yeah. Again. And they're always flaunting stuff. You saved no. the school six hundred yeah. grand. Six hundred thousand. TV wow. anchors so full of themselves. Okay, bye. Paycheck is why I live in Utah. I know. <laughs> paychecks, checks, checks. No, I came for one. I came for one paycheck. But now that's not why you remained. But that's not why I came. I came. That you turned down the uh, uh, Manchester United radio <laughs> gig. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, more things I haven't contemplated. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Should, should I move to Manchester? <laughs> but isn't that controversial? Won't some people say, no way, they're billionaires. Why should we do it? Yes, and I've already seen some of that on social media. But Have is you? It, is it controversial? Yes. Okay. But is it uh, controversial in the legislature, or is it going to sail through? I don't know. One of the bills came out of committee, and I remember it was uh, it was unanimous. Whole committee. Unanimous? Yep. That means every single person. Yeah, I think it was four. Four votes. Maybe there were some not not present. Four zip? I don't know. Somebody was off in another committee meeting. What was there vote on that one? I think that was for the tax for the baseball stadium. I think. Who's getting taxed? Tourists who are staying in hotels or maybe renting cars. I know in the, in other markets they've used they've lumped the two together, and I don't know if they're doing that here. I've seen the hotels mentioned, and I know in other places they've they've hit rental cars at the same time to raise more money. Yeah. And then the, the locals get it and don't have to pay for it, but then there are people who say, well, why don't they just raise those taxes and put the money into our school or our roads or our, you know, fill in the blank. My whatever. pocket. Water. And or what? Well, yeah, lower taxes on us and raise them on the tourists. And then there are other people. Well, never mind. I don't want to. Go into the whole debate. <laughs> you go me into it, but you're right. It is. There are people. <laughs> I just saw the look on your face, and you're I'm like dragging him in. Here we go. <laughs> I've got him wound up. <laughs> Mad scientist sitting over well, there. You spin yourself he's, into a top. He's man. learned. When we come back, you can't lead a horse to water unless it's DJ and politics. When we come back, great. So what do you think money. of this? Great Osibor, Utah you in favor? State. Great Osibor, Utah State. Don't start. No, it's too late. I've spun myself out. <laughs> Do you vote strict party line still? When we come back, Great Osibor, <laughs> Utah State basketball forward. The Aggies' leading scorer joins us next. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Big weekend of college basketball coming up Saturday at noon. BYU, Kansas State, high noon on ESPN+. K-State is struggling. They've lost seven of the last eight games, but the one win was over Kansas. And there's the Big 12 in a nutshell, PK. Oh, totally. You just you're, you get off to a great start, which K-State did, and then it all goes wrong, which it has. But in the middle of that, you still beat your rival, who's one of the elite teams in college basketball. I watched that game. It makes it. no sense, and yet there it is. Well, any home team can beat any team in this conference. Yeah, and we've seen that, right, with Oklahoma State now winning three straight uh, road games, the third one being the win over BYU. And they're sitting in last place. But nonetheless, they take down three teams in a row at home. So BYU on the road to Kansas State at noon, and Utah's at Colorado at 7 o'clock, and the Utes are 7-8 and eight in the conference, and Colorado is 8-7. and seven. So a big game on the Pac-12 networks for Utah as they're trying to get on a run here. They're still being mentioned as a team that's on the bubble, but on the wrong side of the bubble. So they need a hot streak here at the end of the year if they're going to pull this off. The Utah State Aggies have the weekend off. Gives them a little extra time to savor that win over San Diego State at home earlier in the week. We're joined now by Great Osibor, Utah State's forward. Great, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? We're doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I saw your post-game interview after the win against San Diego State, and there are a lot of things you expect in that situation. And talk about the game and what a big win it was. But you went to playing in front of the crowd and uh, what a gift that was! That this is you talk about. This is what you dream of when you're uh, when you're young and and you're shooting hoops. And one day you want to be that good. Can you? Wh- when did you know it was going to be this much fun to play in front of the fans in the Spectrum? When did it really register with what you have there and the and the connection with the fan base? Honestly, honestly, I don't think I realized until the first game, like the exhibition game. And you know what's mad? I didn't even play. I didn't even play our first like exhibition game because I tweaked my ankle. And I've been hearing about the spectrum the whole summer since I got here from everyone. Everyone's like, "Oh man, just wait till you see the spectrum. Just wait till you see the spectrum." And I was, and it got to the point where I was looking like, "There's no way it can be like that good." And then the first game we're playing at Division Two school, and it's packed. And I'm like, "Bro, there's no way." And then I finally played in it, and now you can just feel all the energy and support. And I was like, okay, this is for real. And it's just getting better every game, and that's been big time. You obviously followed uh, Coach Sprinkle from Montana State, and you were a good player there. But I don't think there's any question that you've upped your game here with Utah State. So as the competition has gotten better, you've obviously – handled it. What do you think are some of the reasons for the improvement that you had in your first two seasons over there at Montana State versus what you've been able to do so far here for the Aggies? I mean, obviously, we had a really good team at Montana State last year, uh, shown by the fact that we won the Big Sky Tournament and went to the NCAA Tournament, and that was the second straight time we went there. So, like, last year, I was a sophomore, and I was playing behind the league MVP, and it was just a matter of me playing my role, you know, and buying my time. And then, obviously, obviously, once Coach Sprint got the job here, and he was like, great, we need you. Like, this this year, sure, once you come here with us, because we trust you. Just 
we're going to give you the opportunity to do what you do. It was pretty much a no-brainer at that point. Like, he wanted me to come to Utah State, and he was like, I will give you the keys. Like, you already know our system. It's your turn. I'd like to back up in your, your personal story a few more years. You grew up in England, not known as a basketball hotspot. How do you come yeah. to the sport? How do you get trained in the sport? And how do you end up deciding to come play college basketball in, in the U.S.? Start start with the beginning. How, how do you fall in love with the sport and get hooked on it? So I was born in Spain, right? And in Spain, basketball is a, bit, a little bit. It's more bigger than in England, how, how big it is in England. So when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I was like, I had too much energy, right? And my parents were like, okay, what are we going to do with this kid? And my aunt and uncle, my older cousin, he, he used to play basketball. They were like, you might as well try putting great in basketball, see if that helps, like, help hire him out and stuff. So they were like, okay. So when I was when I was three, they put me in, like, them kids' basketball, like, practices. And ever since then, I've been playing. So when I moved to England... Even though basketball isn't like the main sport, the it's like this is something I've been doing my whole life. It's all I know, so I'm like, I'm gonna keep doing it, right? Because I'm I'm pretty good. But then I went to I was going playing different levels, and I was like, okay, uh, obviously the goal is to go to America, play at the highest level possible, right? And we didn't know how we were gonna do that. But then I ended up going to my school academy in Preston, and my freshman, my first year there. Chris Haslam, the assistant coach here, well, at the time he was at Montana State, he came and seen me. And I was like 6'5". But he was like, okay, this kid really, like, he has something, you know, we're going to keep an eye on him and keep in touch. And then that summer from my first year, um, my school body school to my second year, I kind of grew to like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, and then he was like, from there, after I got a few offers, and the rest is, is kind of history, you know. The story of Utah State is certainly here locally. It's well documented as far as basically everybody leaving. Uh, Falsef obviously was a red shirt, but pretty much everybody left and the coaches leave and, and all these new guys come together here and from various places. And here you are, uh, Coach Sprinkle, we'd all be shocked if he's not coach of the year and, and you, you still have a few ball games to go, but you're looking like you have a good shot to be player of the year in the conference. At what point when you guys all got together, did it click to where you thought, we have a shot to be pretty good this year? You know, I've been lying if I told you I need the whole time. But we we had a we had a tough game against Bradley where we lost in overtime. Yeah. But that low-key opened our eyes to the fact that, okay, we can really compete. And then, obviously, we came back, played a few more games. But the Cayman Islands, when we won the Cayman Islands, I was like, okay, we really might be for real, you know, because we played three amazing teams in the Cayman Islands, and I was like, okay, we can really, we can really do this. And then it was a matter of building from that at that point. Like everybody bought in, everyone, no one had egos. We just wanted to win and get better. And it's it's fun to come to practice every day and do what we do, you know. Winning certainly builds camaraderie and chemistry. It's a lot easier to get along when everybody's happy because uh, you just won the you just won the last game. You guys have done a lot of winning this year. How do you build yeah, sure. the personal relationships, and who are you closer to when guys are coming and going and moving around, and maybe only on a team for a year? There's not a lot of time. Who have you bonded with, and how? Um, I've 
I bonded with the whole team pretty much. Like, obviously, that we had a few guys who were from here, like Landon Branchley, Mason Falsliff, and Isaac Johnson. And in the summer, they did a really good job of, like, having people over to, like, their house, making sure we could spend time together. I spend a lot of time with Joshua Duje and Carson Temple. Like, like those are my guys. Like, we, we're always together, basically. And just having people that you can relate to off the court, it makes it easier, like, on the floor. If I, if I tell Carson something, like, I know he's going to execute and listen because he just wants to do the best thing for the team. And because we're so good friends, whatever I tell him, if, whether it's good or bad, he's not going to take it personal. It's just a matter of winning. And same with Josh. Like, he's an elite scorer, right? But like right now, he's going for the role where he's going to come off the bench and give us our sparking games that we need, like Wyoming. He was the best player on the floor, arguably, that game. And little things like that just makes it better. You're 10-4 and four in conference, uh, three of the losses on the road, one at home. Uh, so you've won enough. You put yourselves in the position to win the thing for sure. Maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm wondering... The losses, uh, how much can you benefit from them? Because it's not like you've just breezed through. You've had some real tough games. And so thinking that, hey, these losses that you've had, maybe they could uh, get the focus there and with the coaches realize what you need to do to finish this thing out. I mean, absolutely. Like, I don't think no – we knew going in, Coach Sprinkle told us, like, he told us in January – no one in the Mile West Conference is going to go undefeated, right? Like, this is a, a, an elite conference, an elite basketball conference. So the thing, the only thing you can do at that point is you learn from your losses. Like, you don't want it to compound and it become a thing. But when you lose, you got to realize why did he lose and then take that and improve that five games. So next time when we play a team, we're not going to lose. And again, like, as it's shown all around the league, winning in the Mount West is not e- in the, it's not easy. Like, and especially on the road, like it's super hard. So when you can manage to sneak on out there and get a win on the road and learn from that, it's big time, you know. Yeah. Utah State Aggie star Great Osabor joining us right here on the Zone. You mentioned Coach Sprinkle. He he's brand new here. You you probably spend as much time with him as anybody in the in the state. What is he what is he like? What does he got that makes him a good coach? Now, you know what it is with Coach Sprinkle, yeah. He he's so personable. Like you wouldn't you see him and you talk to him and you wouldn't have it that okay, this guy is the head coach of the Utah State team that's whatever, like twenty twenty two and five or whatever. Like he he really cares about people and I can really tell you about it because I've been with him for like three years now, and I, I would say I know him as well as as well as anyone out here. And like, he really cares about everything, like any minor little detail. Like he cares, like, and he cares about you as a person, as a basketball player. He wants you to be your best version. So when you have someone in that corner, like everyone just wants to do their job, you know, because you know he's gonna bring it every day, and if he brings it and you don't bring it, then it might become an issue. So to keep everyone happy. We just all bring it, you know. How much did living in a town like Bozeman prepare you for living in Logan? I'm wondering if there's similarities there. Um, Bozeman's awesome. Bozeman's actually really cool. People underrate Bozeman. I don't know. If if you've not been to Bozeman, you need to take a trip there. Like, it's really cool. Little, little town, little city. Like, it prepared me 
from Logan in the sense that Logan isn't the biggest city, but there's a there's a lot of different things in Logan to do. You just got to go find it. And that's low-key the same with Bozeman. And Bozeman's been cool. Like, I've seen this from the summer, and especially when you meet people from here, like, they show you around. You have, you have a good time. When you go when you go back home, when you go back to England and people say, what's the United States like? What do you tell them? Well, I tell them it's different. Like, obviously, uh, Logan and Bozeman are a lot different from, say, Florida or California or whatever. But it just, I told them it depends on where you go. Like, where I've been, it's been, it's been cool, it's been whatever, but I've been blessed uh, through basketball. I get to travel a lot, and I see a lot of different places. So I just told them it's really different. When you're done with college and all that, what do you want to do with basketball? Obviously, my goal is to play at the highest level I can possibly can. God gave me a gift with my talents and my abilities, and I feel like I were to God and the people who've trusted in me to try and make the most out of it, you know. Obviously, I'm having a really good season. We're going to see how everything pans out afterwards. But I'm still a junior, so I still have a year back here. I want to take it, you know. So we'll see. I assume that if people are telling you about the spectrum, they're telling you about other pieces of Utah State basketball history and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And you've still got, uh, I think, four regular season games to go before the conference tournament. But have you heard about the rivalry between the Aggies and the Aztecs and how it usually works out in the conference tournament? There tends to be a third meeting. Yeah, I heard that they tend, Aggies against San Diego State tends to be the final, huh? <laughs> it does. It has been, yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, obviously, you don't want to look ahead and get yourself in trouble, but it was a great game last time. I'd, I'd be down to see them again. They're an amazing team. It'd be a fun way to end, end the conference. Well, great, we great. We appreciate uh, talking to you. I, I guess for people who haven't heard the story, why are you named great? How are you named great? So when my parents first found out they were going to have me, my parents, like, we come from a really religious household, so my parents were like, wow, God, he's great. Like, and they were so filled with joy that they were like, okay, my dad was like, great, that's it, we're going to go with great. And there it is. Well, we appreciate a few minutes of your time and getting to know you better. Thanks for joining us here on the radio yeah. this morning. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you very much. Great, awesome, our Utah State star player. The Aggies are rolling. They get a Saturday off and then four games and then off to the conference tournament. Yeah, I, you know, I... I go by Patrick, but I was actually named mediocre. <laughs> that a kid. Yeah. Could have been worse. I would have thought it was middling. Yeah. They they contemplated sucky. <laughs> now you're going to see that on social media if you turn on your <laughs> notifications. I'd recommend not doing that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Hey, Yach, speaking of... Uh, Text message, social media. Has anybody tried to guess what you were talking about in the last break? Are they pretty accurate? They nailed it. Yeah, they figured it out. Didn't take very long. Nailed it. I see what you think. Fine. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present? This is JJ and Alex. Joining us right now, collegefootballnews.com. He is Pete Futak. Pete, what's going on, man? Give me the superpower team you're really freaked out about in the Big 12. There isn't one, which is why, you know, Utah is probably one of the favorites right now. Arizona is one of the favorites. Oklahoma State, one of those teams is going to get in the college football playoff. 
So it's just going to make the regular season that much bigger because now it's not just up to a panel of judges to come up with four teams. Top five ranked conference champions get in, seven at large. It's fine. You know, it's a little cookie to the group of five program champions. And they get their say in there. And then you get other teams, you know, who like an FSU of last year, might get their moment and get in the playoffs and, you know, do what they can do. It's just going to make suburbs that much bigger. Catch JJ and Alex afternoons from 3 to 6. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Slacker Radio headlines brought to you by Tim Dolly Mazda Southtown. Find your new Mazda at the south end of the valley at Tim Dolly Mazda Southtown. That's Tim Dolly Mazda Southtown in Sandy. Catch you up to date on what's happened in this show. We had David Locke on, radio voice of the jazz. I thought it was interesting, PK, when he explained why do they end up with 17 points in a quarter? Why can't and take over and fix things? Why doesn't he get more shots? I have to say, when I went back and looked at the shot chart, I was surprised he took five or six shots in the fourth quarter, which is you know quite a few. I think I would have guessed two or three. Now, one of them he had wiped away because he hit a three, and Sexton was called for an illegal screen when he already had the guy going under the screen. I don't know why he, that, he had That move. play, yeah. Sexton was literally a pulling guard. <laughs> okay, yeah. And there was no need. The guy's going under the screen. Markin is going to get the shot off. You don't have to. See, he plays guard. Yeah, I get it. And, and he, he was moving. He was moving. Like it's a pulling guard. I think, I think we all got it. <laughs> but thanks for explaining it just in case. Well, I know you're a basketball guy. Yeah, but that's a football so, joke. Right. And I, you're not really a football guy. But I knew he was a guard. I think many people know he's a guard. I think very few people identify right, Sexton. But they, I didn't a, know if you knew the offensive lineman, the guard tackle yeah, type yeah. thing. I didn't know you knew the positions. That is super condescending. You're, you're Good a football work by, guy. Super I mean, con- a basketball guy. Super condescending by you. Really appreciate it. Well, if you're going to be anything, you might as well be super at it. <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> You're like great Osibar. I've got a gift. If I don't, if I can't be condescending at the highest level, you're just not fulfilling your gift. That and you're six eight two fifty. That a kid. Yeah, you're you're a load. But I thought that was interesting about Markinen, and really what he was explaining the limitations in Markinen's game is why I think a lot of people look at him and say he can be the second best player on a really good team, but can he be the best player? And that's one thing, a key thing. That is missing. Give him the ball and have him create a shot. Well, that's not what he does. And the whole eyeball test matching the stats, the stat about of all the guys who scored 20 points a game in the NBA, he has the ball the least because he's catch-and-shoot guy. He's not... That doesn't surprise me, by the way, at all. Not ISO. play. No, I didn't know the stat, but as soon as I heard it, I thought, well, that makes sense. He, he is a fire-away dude. Sometimes I question shot selection so quick. That's what bugs me on the threes. To me, if you shoot your three, I don't like it quick. I don't like it rushed. I like it, like I hate if you're coming down and the guy's sprinting on the wing, he catches it, stops, shoots. It just seems like your body is just not going to allow you to make that shot. And it really it- there are very few players who can shoot when they're moving. It's like, are the feet set? Is the body set? Yeah. Because if you do it all in one motion, you're right. That thing's going left, right, long. It just. I mean, I think they can to, closer to the hoop, back to the bucket that's type different, thing. Right. But that three, I just don't like that shot. It just seems like I just see it in my mind. Somebody coming down the right side, getting that pass, and then firing it, and it's just you're too much. Too much momentum. Uh-huh. You need to be still. You need to be, yes. 
If you're still the odds go way, and up. you got a second, half a second, whatever it might be, fine. I think sometimes he gets it, and just it just, just seems rushed. And it seemed like the velocity of the shot, it wouldn't be a soft shot. So you better line drive it in because you're certainly not going to get any soft bounce around the rim and have it roll in. Anything else David Locke said about the Jazz that got your attention? He was talking about the rookies and the young guys. Any of that appeal to you? Stick yes. with you? Yes. Uh, multiple things, actually. Uh, Give us your favorite. Well, I'll just go in order of what I think he said that – Keontae George has to play hard, and he's been better at that. And if he does, he'll be a scorer in this league. Uh, the minimum bottom level floor, I guess you would say, of Hendricks is a 10-year guy in the league with that athletic ability. He keeps going to Covington. I think it could be more. Well, he says that's the bottom. It can be more. That's. But I think that's the bottom floor. more. Than Co- oh, you think he's guaranteed to be more than Covington? Not that he can be well, more I mean, than Covington. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but well, I that's saying, the, I the think, floor is the guarantee. I think his floor can be better than Covington is where I'm getting. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know who or what or where, but he's such a pup to where just I'm not going to put any and limits on him offensively. I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking that was the best quarter of basketball he's played in the NBA. And I immediately thought, well, how many quarters of basketball has he played in the NBA? But that was his best quarter. There's no question. Yeah, and, and and make plays without the ball. Go get an offensive rebound and put it back in. That's, well, a, that's that. a big he's deal. He's so live. He can. He can, but we just hadn't seen a lot of it. Yeah, and I mean, then he's we, not getting much yeah, time. And I now agree. you got 25 games and you ain't going anywhere. So... Yeah. Give him the time, and let's see if he can go do that. Right. Identify a couple things. It gives. I just think it gives players a lot of confidence when they can go in the game and say, okay, I'm not the best guy out here, and I got flaws in my games, but these these one, two, three things, I know I can do these. I know I can have an impact on the game, and when I go back to the bench, I'm going to feel good, and the guys are going to think, yeah, that guy's a player. This is, for him, it's G League Plus. <laughs> now. It's not NBA Minus. It's G League Plus. Right, whatever he was doing, and I didn't watch him in the G League. I looked at the box scores and all, but I don't ever. I never watched it. And I heard what Wojo would talk and say about him and all that stuff. Now it's like do do that type of thing. I mean, I'm sure when you played in the G League, you took the floor with confidence. And so what? I, that's the reason why I said G League Plus is not for him to just jack it up every time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he should have taken the floor in the G League, thinking I belong. I'm minimally as good as all these guys, if not better. So I want that same attitude now in the remaining 25 games. I belong. I'm good. I can do this. Play with confidence like you. I assumed you did in the G League. I never asked him about it, but my guess is thinking, okay, I've dropped down a level. That's why I didn't go NBA minus because I don't know that you have the confidence that Mm -hmm. mindset needs to be G League plus. As far as that goes. And then, you know, the Kessler Collins thing, they got to figure out. Makes me think one or one or both of them is going to get moved. Mm-hmm. Certainly to- one. Totally agree. It's going to happen. Yeah. And what are the trades going to be? And when are they going to happen? They're not going to draft their way back into the top third of the NBA exclusively. If you got lucky, it'll be possibly, a, but I wouldn't it, count on right. it. Right. They're, they're going to be trades. Yeah. And which of the guys who are on the roster now have value and will go on one of those deals? Well, I think deals. several of them have value. I agree. But which one of them will have value to the team? Well, I'm with you. There's multiple guys. you got to have somebody on the other end. Right. And what does that team need? Right. Yeah. 
one team may be interested in Clarkson, another team may be interested in Collins, another team may be interested in Sexton. They all have value one way or another. Yeah. In addition to David Locke, Jason Christ joined us from Florida. Team training today. After training, they will fly to St. Louis tomorrow night. They will play their second game of the year. He was bullish on the 17-year-old. Fidel Barajas thought he was pretty composed coming into the game. Thought the team as a whole was just nervous and in awe. And yeah, so took it. 45 minutes to settle in. Well, they're not going to play that level of stars again. <laughs> There's not after that. What is going to awe you? That's the most. Uh, that's the most yeah. glamorous lineup in MLS. And you had Bex there. Yeah, he was watching. Yep, it's like Babe Ruth watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, sure. So, yeah, and then they're talking about Crooks, and he thinks uh, he's got one or two guys that, that will be vying for uh, PT. And so uh, it's somewhat of a work in progress. This is a long, long way to go. He did say he was at training, and Crooks was with the team, yeah. and he was training. So probably see him in some some form, some fashion for a few minutes, to sub him in for 20 or 30 maybe. We'll see how that goes. He is expected to help. Teach you a lot because he's 6'4". He's, he's easily the biggest player RSL has had. And he's going to require attention from the center backs. He's a goal scorer. He'd been playing in the championship, the second league and the second tier in England. You're talking Crooks. Crooks. Yeah. And that is viewed as like the sixth best league in the world and far better than MLS. We've seen other players who are really good come and go between the two leagues. Uh-huh. And if you're playing there, you ought to be able to step right in and start an MLS and, and be good. We also had Great Osibor on, Aggie uh, forward. Interesting, his story. Falling in love with basketball in Spain, moving to England, playing even more, coming to the U.S., getting spotted by an assistant coach, and now dominating. Sprinkle is a genuine guy, detail-oriented, who brings it every day. And the spectrum helps well, him. Well, I mean, that he fell in love with had great successes on the modern Montana State in Bozeman, yep. and so I can see why he'd want to follow. You know, Osibor's story is somewhat unusual, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it it happens a fair amount. Somebody spots somebody somewhere on the planet, develop a relationship, they want to come to the states, so he comes here, and this kid deserves to play on a big stage. It'll be interesting to see which uh, desperate teams come with a lot of NIL. Because I think where we are in college sports right now, it's a given. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say desperate, though. I was thinking more they have a hole to fill on their roster desperate. But not necessarily a bad team. It could be a very good team. He's good so enough. Not desperate. Yes. He's right. probably helping anybody's a good, team. A good team that needs somebody because at one position. think about the other teams. The teams that are really good, their players are probably going to the NBA. Could be. That, that could be, got to plug a so, guy in. Yeah. And I'm wondering, with that body, uh, he's a load. He's a Mack truck. Well, we saw what happened so with— So what about the NBA? We saw about—I mean, they play it a little differently, but they're big guys who really impact games. They have that in common. We saw Fardaz Amac at UVU go off to the Big 12 and now go to the Pac-12. And there's multiple teams and multiple leagues that are going to have an interest in a guy who's got that size and that level of athletic ability. He's probably a better scorer than Fardos was. He's probably not as good a rebounder, but he's a good enough rebounder. So somebody will come well, call Well, for where he's we'll playing. And how do we know that uh, Utah State doesn't throw two mil his way? <laughs> that would be something. That's a pretty big number. 
Yeah, I, this thing has a t- potential to break up quickly, so Aggie fans enjoy it while it's there. And pretty much everything has I was, a chance. I was to about break to say quickly. at this point, if you're not, but I mean, the they're very, really good. If you're not at the very top of the food chain, and then you lose guys to the pros, so even that breaks up. You know, even if you're Alabama and Ohio State in football, you're going to lose guys to the NFL. Right, but those so, guys are more easily replaced. In college sports now, if you got something good, you better soak it up because everybody's going to be on their way one way or another. Anything else we talked about in this show you would like to tell the people all about? Yeah, I guess you're you're irritated at the politicians, huh? <laughs> That's what I took from that. Uh, it's not. You're just making stuff up. You were bringing in taxation without representation. and mm-hmm. I brought in the taxation. In... You brought in the representation. Well, I just asked you because it seemed that's where you were going. So they're, you weren't with us earlier. They're going to tax the bulk of uh, the rental cars or something you were telling me? One of the, one of the, uh, one of the most surprising things here in the last uh, few weeks, after, after uh, 20 or 30 years of questions, do you think we could ever get Major League Baseball? Do you think we can ever get the NFL? So, well, before we worry about that, why don't we worry about who's going to pay for the stadium? Because for decades, I didn't think there was any appetite for our legislature to spend tax money on this. And, and why now, not? I have now, no idea what the appetite, par- appetite of the legislature would be. Just getting the, I think it was about $60 million for the soccer stadium Sandy was a brouhaha that lasted for a while before it got sorted out. And they did eventually do it. So tens of millions of dollars was a big deal. This is going to be hundreds of millions. I mean, some people are spending over a billion dollars on these stadiums. I don't know what the price tag will be on the facilities here. I wouldn't think it's that high. But nonetheless, it can easily be half a billion. It'd be 10 times what they spend on the stadium. That wouldn't be surprising. So they're looking at raising, and it's gone out of committee. It hasn't gone to the full vote yet, but they're looking at raising the it tax just on- advanced, ho- by the way. It did just advance. Eight, eight to two vote to advance the bill ahead to the House for a full vote. And that's on the baseball that's, stadium? That's on the baseball one. I literally just saw that tweet come across. Okay. So that's to raise money on hotel tax- that one, yes. And did it involve rental cars or not? Or did they say? That part I do it's not It's basically know. a tourist tax. How about shuttles? <laughs> How about the scooters? <laughs> they ought yeah, to tax yeah, the scooters. Yeah, get the big scooter money companies. in taxing the yes. scooters. Yeah. And That's like, an excellent idea. All those city bike things, those green things. I think the scooters have kind of, uh, I don't see as many people on the bikes now. The scooters have kind of taken over. The bikes were very popular for a while, but I think the scooters have brushed the bikes aside. And I know you're very much against an alcohol tax. That's already uh, being done again. This is not going to go to sports. And they're also looking at a district. uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the general fund. Beats me. I don't know. Look that up. The general fund? I don't know. What do they do with the general fund? Spend it on on what? Stuff, generally. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You want to argue with that, Yuck? And so you're against all this. Okay, well, you have that right. That's okay. I mean, I I think it's clear. Once we get in baseball, once the word baseball is mentioned, your soccer pride just goes through the roof, and you're going to steamroll anyone who gets in the way. Because you don't want that sport taking over your sport. I understand it. That's why I never see Clowkey and you in the same room anymore. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh, you're hilarious. 
<laughs> you would if you came to jazz games. <laughs> I would if I felt it. Well, never mind. But, uh... <laughs> no, please do expound. Share. <laughs> no. sure. I understand. You get your you get your soccer stuff just gets in the way. It's not going anywhere. You got your nice little thing just right. You get out of the studio for. 11 months out of the year during the season, so it's okay. 11 months out of the year during the season. I see that, too. (laughs) Going to play the hits here. We got 90 seconds to break. Play the hits, people. Let's go. I've often said soccer's a good sport for kids. Yak, did they do, is it a separate deal what they are talking about doing for uh, basketball and hockey district? Yeah, the NHL deal is a whole separate bill. It's being sponsored by Dan McKay, who we've actually, you guys have had in studio. In Dan past. McKay? Yeah, he's a, a state senator, if I recall correctly. Uh, he's sponsoring that one. This is a separate bill for D-Mac's been in studio? Yeah, remember? I can only think of one guy who's in studio, and that was the guy, was he the guy we, that uh, when the U was... Uh-huh. Uh, oh, really? Or that... Or the, or <laughs> like we the governor's been in studio. What are you talking about? We've had the governor. Yeah, but at one state legislator. I yeah. get the governor's it, it was, been It was studio. Dan McKay. Yeah. D-Mac. Right. The D-back, yes, that's who we. Do you guys discuss this over food? Because we don't at home. We don't. No, we don't talk politics at all. No, I get no idea. I saw this. Uh, I think I saw the previous thing on Tuesday night um, when I was on, on Twitter during the uh, BYU and Utah State basketball games. I think that's when I saw it. Saw so what? That there was a committee vote that was four zero, and one of them was advancing, and the other one was going to be considered. Huh. I'll be gall darned. Yeah. There you go. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. When we come back, your feedback. Next, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Question of the morning. If the Jazz are going to continue to lose, at least isn't it good to give minutes to the rookies? And a lot of you have been responding on Twitter this morning. Brandon, yeah, give the rookies minutes only for Danny to trade him in the year for future draft picks so Danny can have fun on draft night. Hey, come on. Why are we so down on uh, Daniel R? Five-game losing streak. He's done something that's only happened 17 times in the NBA. Win it all with the Celtics? Yes. Put together a Celtic championship team? Yes. Taylor Hendricks Fan Clubs at 1280 Josh says, yeah, like play him in the fourth quarter last night would have been great. Hendricks was awesome in the third, didn't see the floor in the fourth. Neither did Sensabaugh. I'm okay with Sensabaugh, but I didn't understand the Hendricks thing, to be honest. Yeah, could have seen him for a few minutes early in the fourth. Not the final five. Why not? Yeah. Why not the final five? If you're going to lose, what's the difference? Ryan says, "Uh, what do I want? I want him to lose enough to get the eighth pick in the draft. The eighth pick? That's going to be pretty hard. They got a little separation there from the worst eight. Uh, But if they try hard and they can do it. Just say that uh, something's come up and... Marketing has to go back to the military in Finland. (laughs) (laughs) Warrior at Warrior Hunt. Isn't that the point? The issue I have is we still try to be competitive to this point in the season, and then we lose the rest of the way, which guarantees we're always going to be drafting in that 9-10 range. If we're going to lose, we might as well go for a high draft pick. And last year was the year to lose, and we didn't do it. Yeah, but you, you had such a minuscule chance to get it. To get one by Yama with number one, 14%. But it was going to be somebody, and you could still get a very good player at 2-3-4. Miller, Miller's four. a good player. Right. No doubt. He so was now good you're, in Alabama. He's good here. Now you're at a 28% chance of getting one of the top two picks. Okay, but how do you know Hendricks doesn't develop in two or three years? 
You don't. Right. It's so maybe they a, got one anyway. It's all a roll of the dice. We don't and really maybe know. he just needs a little more opportunity to develop than a Brandon Miller who has a more sophisticated offensive game. At this point. And then we'll see where it is and yeah. see who the better I mean, player is. I think is. at that point they I, did too. I think and I think in five years Brandon Miller's gonna be the better player. But you don't offensively. know offensively. But you don't know that for sure. Right. And what well, impact I'm pretty sure. What impact do you have on the game though? Defending and it's rebounding. Just, what oh he'll be fine. He'll be very good there. It's a question of what he can bring, bring offensively. offensively. How much can he improve offensively? Right. The other stuff I are have you, no doubt are you will 30, be there. Are you thirty two percent guy who no one takes seriously when they stand on the three point line and the team's playing four and five? Well then you don't are take you, that shot. Are you a decent thirty five percent guy who can make him pay a little? Hey, get your butt in there and get going. Yeah. You're just barely getting started I, now. I was talking to people last night. He's about 10,000 three-pointers this summer away from us figuring out what he might be able to do <laughs> next year. And there's no but reason. Yep. I don't. I assume the kid's got a work ethic. Seems right. like a bright kid. Now, this is get your job, the, son. Get in the gym you know, and get the shots There is really up. no off-season in terms of working. Nope. There's a week. You get a week vacation like everybody else. Yeah. And then you have and another week at the end of the summer. And there's your two weeks. Right. But and the then, rest of the time, and the thing is, and di- you can go plan. And and the thing is, unlike other jobs, well, maybe like more jobs now, you can go other places and get shots up. I mean, you don't have to. You know, you want to go. And we've seen guys go to Florida. All right, and you want to go spend a couple hours in the middle of the day at the beach. Great. And then in the, another afternoon workout, you're back in the gym, weights, shooting, whatever it is you're working on. Well, there's plenty of time for you to have a life. Yep, plenty of. No time. one's asking you to do a yeah. 15 hours here. Yep. Cheese Fries just tweeted at us, the legislature cannot be trusted. Any billion-dollar stadium should go to a vote on a ballot so taxpayers can decide if we want to waste all that money on the NHL or Major League Baseball. Oh, well, he is making a political statement, assuming Cheese Fries is a male, um, by saying wasted. Yes. And we get this from Papa Dave at UPS Dave. Yes. DJ, please ask PK if it's sucky with a Y or an IE. Why? <laughs> oh, is a Y? Uh, we had great Osibor on about and asked, you know, for people to know why is his name great. And you said you were almost named mediocre and that Sucky was actually in the conversation briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was going to say I'm a Y guy, but my sister, Patty, is IE. Aha. Although nobody outside of the family calls her Patty. What does everyone call her? Pat. Oh, okay. But. In the family, we never called her that. And when she refers to herself in the family, she calls herself Patty. It's a very interesting dynamic. One we will explore more later. (laughs) Much later. And not on the air. When we have our post-show meeting. I hope we're meeting with management today, because i got a couple things i got to get off my chest about you. Okay. (laughs) You are lying now. You are a lying liar. A Friday meeting. Let's just say uh, after the reduction, you'll be downsizing your television. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There you go. Anything else you want to tell the people here before we head out for the weekend? You were just telling me Pac-12 hoops. We didn't really talk about it. But Washington State, did they just punch their NCAA ticket? They went to Tucson, beat Arizona, and now are a half game in front of Arizona in the Pac-12 race. I believe they have, yeah. I believe they're in. I believe both those teams are in. And then does the Pac-12 get a third team? It's just funny. Anytime the U of A loses, particularly the home game, it's just like a panic. <laughs> you think, well, what's the difference? You guys, your success is going to be determined next month, not 
last night in the kale, and the Cougs got you. Good for them. It happened last year. I mean, the ASU kid threw in a, like a 50, 60-footer. Uh-huh. And, oh, my gosh, they were just on social media. They're going nuts. I'm thinking, who cares? <laughs> You've already established yourself as an NCAA tournament team. And you're going to be remembered for what your program is rarely remembered on what you do in February. It's what you're going to do in March. When I think of Arizona, I have no idea how many Pac-12 titles they won in the regular season or in the tournament, but I know they've been to four Final Fours, and I know they won a title. Yeah. That's what I remember about Arizona basketball. If that was a game you needed to get in the tournament, okay, but it's not. No, they're in. They're in. They're going to be a pretty good seed. Yeah. I don't understand I've the looked at all the bra- when that. Yeah, I've looked at all the bracketology When they stuff. lose a home game. Because your fans. They go nuts. And you're obsessive and every game matters. <laughs> it go, it, it's amazing. You're like contradicting yourself because you talk about the snowbirds and how important it is there. And that's what they really care about. One win I know, but game. we're two weeks away from going to Vegas. And you're going to get your name called on the following Sunday. I yep. guarantee it. DJ and PK, we're all done. Jake and Ben are up next. Stay with us.